I will start the countdown. Oh. I will start the countdown from five, five, four, three, two, one. Welcome to the Small Business Commission meeting on June 26, 2023. The meeting is being called to order at 4.32 p.m. This meeting is being held in person in City Hall Room 400 and broadcast live on SFGov TV and available to view online or listen to by calling 415-655-0001. The Small Business Commission thanks Media Services and SFGov TV for televising the meeting, which can be viewed on SFGov TV 2 or live streamed at sfgovtv.org. We welcome the public's participation during public comment periods. There will be an opportunity for general public comment at the end of the meeting, and there will be an opportunity to comment on each discussion item or action item on the agenda. For each item, the commission will take public comment first from people attending the meeting in person and then from people attending the meeting remotely. Members of the public who will be calling in, the number is 415-655-0001. The access code is 2594-828. 5257, followed by password 77221. Press pound and then pound again to be added to the line. When connected, you will be in muted and in listening mode only. When your item of interest comes up, dial star 3 to be added to the speaker line. If you dial star 3 before public comment is called, you'll be added to the queue. When it is your time to speak, you will be prompted to do so. Public comment during the meeting is limited to three minutes per speaker. An alarm will sound once the time is finished. Speakers are requested but not required to state their names. SFGov TV, please show the Office of Small Business slide. Today we will begin with a reminder that the Small Business Commission is the official public forum to voice your opinions and concerns about policies that affect the economic vitality of small businesses in San Francisco. Before item one is called, I'd like to start by thanking media services and SFGov TV for coordinating this virtual hearing and helping to run the meeting. Please call item one. Item one, roll call. Commissioner Carter is absent. <coughs> Commissioner Dickerson. Present. Commissioner Gregory. Present. Commissioner Herbert. Present. President Huey. Here. Commissioner Ortiz Cartagena and Vice President Zizuna. You just yelled. Just made it. <laughs> <laughs> President. President, you have a quorum. Thank you so much. The San Francisco Small Business Commission and Office of Small Business staff acknowledges that we are on the unceded ancestral homeland of the Ramatush Ohlone, who are the original inhabitants of the San Francisco Peninsula. As the indigenous stewards of this land, and in accordance with their traditions, the Ramatushaloni have never ceded, lost, nor forgotten their responsibilities as the caretakers of this place, as well as for all peoples who reside in their traditional territory. As guests, we recognize that we benefit from living and working on their traditional homeland. We wish to pay our respects by acknowledging the ancestors, elders, and relatives of the Ramatushaloni community and by affirming their sovereign rights as First Peoples. Please call item number two. Item two, approval of legacy business registry applications and resolutions. This is a discussion and action item. The commission will discuss and possibly take action to approve legacy business registry applications. Presenting today is Richard Carrillo, legacy business program manager with the Office of Small Business. 
Welcome, Rick. Good afternoon, President Huey, Vice President Zuzunas, Commissioners, City staff, and members of the public. I'm Richard Carrillo, Legacy Business Program Manager. I would like to acknowledge Michelle Reynolds, my colleague in the Office of Small Business, who assists with the review, collation, and processing of legacy business registry applications. SFGovTV, I have a PowerPoint presentation. Before you today are three applications for your consideration for the legacy business registry. Each application includes a staff report, a draft resolution, the application itself, and documents from the planning department. The applications were submitted to planning on April 19th and heard by the Historic Preservation Commission on May 17th. I would like to thank the applicants for their patience and understanding with regard to the length of time it took for their applications to get to this final meeting. Please accept my deepest thanks. Item 2A is Simple Pleasures Cafe. The business is a traditional Bohemian-style coffee house that was founded in 1978. Simple Pleasures Cafe is a staple in the Richmond District as a gathering space and destination for old world-style coffees, bringing community members together through quality coffee, excellent food, and comfortable surroundings. The current owners, Ahmed and Diana, also have a roastery next door that they opened in 2006, where they roast their coffee old world style in small batches. They procure most of their beans from small farms and women cooperatives, and their beans are mostly organic when available. The core feature tradition the business must maintain to remain on the legacy business registry is coffee shop. Item 2B is South Beach Yacht Club. The business is a nonprofit, community-based membership organization special, specializing in the promotion of boating and waterfront activities. South Beach Yacht Club began as a club in April 1988 and was officially established with the California Secretary of State in January 1989. The club started without a location but built a double-wide trailer on the Pier 40 complex in 1989. After 14 years in the trailer, the club moved a stone's throw away to the newly constructed building on South Beach Harbor in 2006. The entire interior infrastructure of the South Beach Yacht Club's new clubhouse was constructed by the club members, some with flooring and architectural experience. Today, the club has 485 members and a strong commitment to youth and the disabled, including the first ADA accessible harbor in San Francisco. The core feature tradition the business must maintain is promotion of recreational boating. Item 2C is Swenson's of San Francisco, Inc. The business is an ice cream shop that was founded by Earl Swenson on the corner of Hyde and Union Streets in 1948. Earl developed a lifelong devotion to ice cream during his time serving on a US Navy ship in the tropics of the Pacific Ocean during World War II. After the war, Earl returned to San Francisco and opened Swenson's, originally named See Us Freeze Ice Cream. In 1970, Earl sold the franchising rights to Swenson's for other locations, but retained exclusive rights to the original store in San Francisco. At its height, there were several hundred Swenson's ice cream shops in the United States and elsewhere. However, Swenson's ice cream shops have since closed in the United States. 
Swenson's currently maintains over 350 additional locations in nine countries worldwide. Today, the business carries on the tradition of using old-fashioned standards to make ice cream on site. Swenson's has developed deep roots in the local community by sharing the knowledge, tradition, and love of making ice cream and has provided first-time jobs for hundreds of teenagers to give them needed income and useful experience. Swenson's ice cream is regularly included on various best of lists for San Francisco. The core feature tradition the business must maintain is ice cream store. I see ice cream in our future. <laughs> All three businesses met the three criteria required for listing on the legacy business registry and all three received a positive recommendation from the Historic Preservation Commission. Legacy Business Program staff recommends adding the businesses to the registry and has drafted three resolutions for your consideration. A motion in support of the businesses should be framed as a motion in favor of the resolutions. Thank you. This concludes my presentation. I'm happy to answer any questions. There are business representatives in the room and possibly online who would like to speak on behalf of the applications during public comment. Great, thank you so much. Um, commissioners, any questions so far? I think we can go ahead and take some public comment. If public commenters wanna just line up or on, on along this side and then come to the microphone, that would be great. Thank you, um, President Huey and commissioners. Um, I'm Kelly Groth with Supervisor Chan's office. Um, Supervisor Chan urges your support for making uh, Simple Pleasures Cafe a legacy business. Um, it's one of the oldest coffee houses um, in the Richmond district and it's an immigrant woman-owned business. Um, Simple Pleasures is a neighborhood staple and provides a space for a community to gather and share a cup of coffee or enjoy a meal together. Um, Simple Pleasures expanded its business in 2006 by adding a roastery next door, roasting their coffee in small batches, um, and they really serve as an anchor for the Outer Balboa Corridor um, as the commercial corridor is smaller than the Inner Clement and Gary Corridor. Um, thank you for considering Simple Ble Pleasures Cafe as a legacy business, and again, I urge your support for this cafe. Thank you. Hi, uh, President Hui, <laughs> Cynthia, good to see you. Small Business Commission, I see Katie Tang here as gracious with her presence. Wow, this is so awesome. Um, I'm excited to speak to you all. I am Forrest, I'm a Stop Asian Hate uh, activist. Um, I co-founded a nonprofit called Dear Community. We bring people together in support of local Asian businesses in the name of stopping Asian hate. That's my main thing. But along the way, I've met many, many small businesses here in San Francisco, um, and all of them have incredible stories, and they've shared with me their struggles with the pandemic, with Asian hate, with navigating city bureaucracy, and everything. And along the way, I met Ahmed right here, who has an incredible story um, of immigrating here to America, working hard in a small coffee shop, a story that I feel like is that of many people, especially Asian immigrants who've come here, worked hard to become better, make a better life for themselves and their families. So I am coming today to ask you to please support Ahmed and Simple Pleasures Cafe. I've only been there, I've been there twice now. Um, and the first time I was there, I uh, was with uh, this guy named Babak Esfandiari. I don't know if you know him. I had to watch him eat not one, but two of Ahmed's delicious bagels. I know they're really good. So yeah, please support. Um, Ahmed and Simple Pleasures Cafe. Thank you.
Hello, um, my name is Dahlia, and um, I am Ahmed and Diana's daughter. Um, so I kind of just wanted to say a few words of what Simple Pleasures means to me. Um, after my parents met and fell in love at the cafe, my brother and I came along and we became a family business um, and we were raised there. Over the last 18 years, while I've been alive, my drink of choice has changed from a child's steamed milk to a cappuccino, but a lot of things have stayed the same, like the customers that have been coming in for over 45 years. Um, an example of this is Bruce, who is a tutor. Uh, so he tutors customers almost every night, dedicated to getting them good grades in their classes. And eventually, Bruce became um, my tutor. And we would sit in the cafe for three hours every night at the window seat, where while there was live music or open mic happening, we'd always be there. Um, another thing that hasn't changed is my parents' dedication. When I think of people I look up to in my life, I automatically think of my parents. It's not easy running a small business, um, but they put absolutely everything into it. And watching my parents in the cafe is how my brother and I have learned about work ethic and community. And growing up in the cafe and now working there has made me so proud to be part of something bigger than myself. And truly Simple Pleasures is a valuable community that means so much to so many people. And I'd like to thank you for considering Simple Pleasures as a legacy business. Thank you. Yeah. All of us are like. <laughs> Hi, um, I'm Diana Riggio. Dally is my daughter, Ahmed's my husband. Um, and um, our son wanted to be here, but he's a, he's a junior in college and studying abroad this summer. And I thought that I would um, read an essay that he wrote in high school about the cafe, since he couldn't be here. Um, and I, I love it, and anyway. Uh, I'll just go ahead and read it. I love making latte art. It doesn't change the rich espresso flavor, the pleasant foamy texture, or the natural warmth of a hot drink, but it always brings a smile to a customer's face. Small gestures like these, along with lifelong friendships, quality coffee, and great people, are what has kept my family's cafe open since 1978. Then came the pandemic. Cheerful faces were now anxious and afraid, Masks hid the once rewarding smiles that motivated my expressive, foamy creations. Life wasn't simple before, and what had transpired only made things more complicated. So much of the world had changed, and it was clear that customers were grappling with this new reality. But Simple Pleasures Cafe was still there. The same friendships, the same coffee, the same family behind the counter. In our own small way, we preserve a sense of normalcy for San Francisco's outer Richmond district. For our customers, life inside the cafe wasn't complicated. It was still simple. Teachers struggling, struggling to teach online, parents dealing with children all day, high schoolers trying to keep in touch with friends, college students tired from days full of Zoom calls, and various community members with their own struggles all coming together to share their experience. Coffee is humanizing. No matter your position in life, the action of enjoying morning coffee gives everybody some common ground. 
My latte art still brings smiles to faces, covered or not. I like to think that these small gestures provide hope when our customers need it most. When my work schedule is hectic, the reactions people have to my art help me get through the, my day. They serve as a reminder for our community that we will get through this, one latte at a time. <laughs> I mean it without crying. I usually cry every time I read it. But thank you for considering Simple Pleasures as a legacy business. Now she's about to make me cry too. Hi, <laughs> hey, I'm Steve Caporelli. Um, I'm a, been, I've been a resident of the Richmond District since 2005 and a customer of Simple Pleasures since 2005 as well. I've never felt as welcome in a place as I have uh, Simple Pleasures Cafe. It's everything I think a San Francisco cafe should be, where you know you could be strolling through in the evening, fog is coming in, and you hear some beautiful jazz or classical music just coming out of the street, and it's coming from, from their cafe. Not only do they have great food and great coffee, but it, it's just a, a super anchor for, for the neighborhood. I think if you walk through uh, the business district, that, that Balboa just business district between uh, 33rd and 40th, I, I guarantee you 50% of those people are coming or going to the cafe. Um, and just kind of give you a little idea of how much of a neighborhood place that is. I, I have seen their kids kind of grow up a bit, um, but also um, a dear friend of mine who was born and raised and then never passed away last year. His sister did a nice painting. Ahmed was kind enough to keep that painting displayed in, 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 inside the cafe. And it's not unusual to see little notices of artists having their openings coming in the cafe or if somebody passed away, there's a little notification there of what's going on. It, it, you can't just ask for a better uh, neighborhood cafe. You guys should come down, get a cup of coffee. I'll, I'll give you one. I'll even let you use my cup that they let me have down there. All right, take care. Hi, I'm Gage Schreier. I'm another District 1 resident. I live quite literally just blocks away from Simple Pleasures. And, you know, like everyone that's spoken today, I've grown up my entire life in San Francisco. And when I come back to the city after going to college, really the first place I go is Simple Pleasures. It, to me, is not just, you know, a place to get a bagel, a cup of coffee, but it's sort of a living legacy of the city that sort of raised me and that I grew up around. And I would just love to, you know, to come here and to support them in becoming a legacy business because they just have such an amazing effect on my community. I mean, I've had so many really embarrassing, really happy moments. I actually had my first ever date in Simple Pleasures. Um, did it go well? No. But was the bagel amazing? Yes. So it was very worth it. Um, yeah. It's an amazing business. I uh, just love and really hope to support them. Thank you. Hey there, I'm Robin Fister. I'm also a neighbor four blocks away. Um, and uh, I don't know what everyone else has said, but um, I've been going there 15 years. The last, after they put the parklet in, after about a year, whoever put it in, it didn't get taken care of. So I started volunteering to do the parklet. And um, since then, like last year, my mom moved in with me a couple years ago. She's 90. It's like the spot we get, she wants to walk to there. So we walk every day to the cafe pretty much. And um, it's real, it's like people's living room. So it's been like, there's just so many seniors and different people that just go and that's their living room. 
Um, I keep waiting for Diana to start making her amazing lasagna again, because she used to make, that's my, my favorite meal they made. But um, anyway, it's a great place, and um, it's such a great community. So yeah, thanks so much. Hi, good afternoon. I'm uh, Jim from Swenson's. Uh, thank you, Rick, for all the fantastic work with the and assistance with the uh, uh, process of uh, putting our package together. So thank you for that. I'd like to acknowledge a couple of uh, people. My father-in-law, the owner of Swenson's, uh, Richard. He worked there for 55 years. I'd be hard-pressed to find anyone in this room that's worked any place for 55 years. So uh, um, welcome. Alongside him is my wife, Diane. Uh, she's my partner in crime in this. We took over three years ago, and she is absolutely not going to come up here and talk, so uh, <laughs> I'm it. And then uh, lastly, uh, Alan. He's a, as he says, he's a fan of San Francisco. He's a fan of the neighborhood and fan of Swenson's, and he really pushed us to do this legacy business, so thank you. Um, we're here to, today to preserve our business, a small ice cream shop in San Francisco in Russian Hill, but an important part to San Francisco. Um, we've employed hundreds and hundreds of high school and college students, teaching them about customer service, responsibility, and a way to earn money. Um, I'd like to thank the neighborhood and the surrounding areas of the city. Uh, during the pandemic, we had zero tourism. Uh, they have spoken. We are still in business. So they supported us, and uh, we thank them. Many of our recipes are from the 1950s, and we have no intention of changing them. Uh, we make good old-fashioned ice cream, use good quality ingredients, and treat the customers right. We have an amazing following of people in our store. We've had people come in there for 30, 40, and even 50 years, um, and they keep coming in. We love to hear their stories when they come in. Our customers are the ones, though, that tell us what a historic San Francisco establishment we have. Uh, they love the nostalgia. Unfortunately, some of these businesses are going away in the city, and that's, and that's too bad. We serve tourists from all over the world. They know the brand. They're often surprised that Swenson started right here in San Francisco. I never realized prior to managing uh, the store that uh, Diane and I, that ice cream connects people. It means something to people when their grandparents bring them in, and now those people are bringing their families in. Um, it brings people back to a different time, perhaps something simpler. I'd like to think of this as Swenson's first 75 years. Diane and I plan on operating the store as long as we possibly can, and we're going to pass it off to someone else who's just as passionate about it as we are. Um, I'd like to think we're serving up happiness one scoop at a time. So I'd like to thank the commission for hearing our story and uh, considering us. Any other public comments? There are no other public commenters on the line. Great. Um, hearing no further callers, public comment is closed. Um, any commissioner? Let's see. Um, commissioner Ortiz Cartagena. Thank you, President Huey. I appreciate everybody, small business owners and patrons of the small business that came. And I just want to highlight this is San Francisco. The national news media should pick this up. We're here. We're not going anywhere. 
We're San Francisco. San Francisco endures. We endure things Mother Nature throws at us. You don't think we're going to solve some man-made problems? I appreciate every single small business owner because you make San Francisco what it is, and we're going to be here 55 years. That's San Francisco love right there. You know what I'm saying? I want to taste your lasagna that you make on my head when it's lasagna day but this is san francisco all that doom loop stuff all that nonsense that's nonsense all the extractors are gone real san franciscans we're here we will endure small business you make san francisco san francisco i appreciate you thank you Hello. So I just, um, I'm a small business owner too in the food and beverage uh, industry. And I just think that you guys are doing an amazing, amazing job. And it just warms my heart um, that, you know, you've got a legacy of generations of people coming to your cafe and to have ice cream. And it's just what small business is all about creating community and creating family. And so, um, and I agree with what my fellow commissioner said. You guys are the heart of San Francisco, and I just love, you just made my day, basically. So I'm going to support you guys for sure. <laughs> commissioner Dickerson. I remember as a kid going to Swenson's Ice Cream. I, for some well, the, the point is, is I, 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 I forgot but you just brought back such amazing memories as a kid when we used to have Swinsons. And it used to, I remember there being more, but the point is you, it really did bring back um, a lot of good memories, but I love hearing the story. And yes, you have been working longer than I've been alive. So I honor you for that. <laughs> but um, um, going from guilty pleasure, pleasure to simple pleasures, um, I just love the stories um, because this is what draws our community together. I, there's something about, sorry, I have to take a little, it's something about when your children can get up and say how their parents are their heroes. It says a lot about who you are as people. And what I love about that is you are leaving more than just a legacy of business. You're leaving a legacy of good people who are going to continue in whatever they do. And so I celebrate you all as well. That's my little side note of celebrating the way you parented your children, because that means a lot. But I want to say to all of the, for, you know, for all of you all, thank you so much for bringing your stories and being such a rock in San Francisco. And of course, I'm going to support what my fellow commissioner said about San Francisco small businesses and, you know, being at the, the ground level of, of who we truly are. We, San Francisco is small business, and it's small business is taking care of our community and taking care of our people. So I want to say thank you, thank you, thank you for um, holding down the fort. Thank you. Vice President Zunis. Thank you. Um, welcome, ahlan wa sahlan. Beautiful, beautiful um, lineup today of legacy businesses. Um, really hits home as I'm also coming from um, a multiple generation uh, family business and 
you know, a lot of us uh, second, third generation, we're not, we're not there. We're not, you know, learning the ropes. And it's also sometimes our parents who are working so hard and they want us to have a different life and not learn the trade. But it really is beautiful to see that we are, con you know, continuing legacies of small businesses and that um, I think we have a lot that we can share with the city in terms of economic development. This is succession planning. Um, this is, you know, bringing small businesses into the new age, and we're creating jobs. So I think that the model that you all have made is something that this city can study and um, replicate. And you know, inshallah, we will keep going and have more generations of small businesses in this city. So thank you, Commissioner Gregory. Hi, I also wanted to say um, congratulations. <clears throat> I have a little bit of a connection to both uh, the Swensons and the Simple Pleasures. I used to, Balboa, that little area used to be my stomping ground back in high school, <laughs> way back in the 80s. And uh, although I wasn't into lattes then, it was more like hot cocos. I'm excited to see that you guys are still owning and running it. And I love what your daughter said, that's, um, brought me to tears. I hope one day my daughter could stand up here and say the same thing about uh, my company with <laughs> my husband. Also with Swenson's, I used to have a girlfriend in high school, again, that uh, lived a few blocks away and we would walk down the hill to go see what the cutest high school boy was working at the ice cream <laughs> store then. <laughs> so uh, congratulations, this is, it's, this is great to see, congratulations. Well, you know, thank you very much for sharing your stories today. And um, I, I don't know how I'm, I, I don't know how I got through this without actually just completely bawling today. <laughs> I find it really interesting that this might, I don't know if this is the only commission meeting that this happens to regularly where we <laughs> get into such heartfelt conversations. But I think, again, this is a testament to small business in San Francisco, right? This is, do we have time for one more? Oh, public comment is closed. Oh, sorry. You can email, though. Email us. We'll, we'll, <laughs> we'll read and share. Um, but I wanted to thank Simple Pleasures for always being there for the community. You know, I know um, one little thing was that um, wine on the west side for the Richmond Neighborhood Center was um, kind of a little brainchild of somebody of Sarah's, of Sarah Huck's, and um, you know, it was kind of their first for foray into um, fundraising um, on that level, and to watch it grow into kind of like this large, you know, uh, annual event now is really beautiful, but that really started with an opportunity, I think, that you gave them to just try having an event there. And I think, you know, that is just one example of probably thousands of ways that you've touched the community. So I really want to appreciate you for being such an anchor and for being, um, you know, for, for both of your businesses being family businesses. I also work in a family business and, it, and it's hard. <laughs> it's hard sometimes, but to watch your daughter and your son be able to share such 
beautiful stories gives us all hope that you know there are young people who could really could really benefit with you know from the work that we've kind of put into our businesses and hopefully the next generation would be um, inspired to to do more which reminds me that I think we should support young entrepreneurs in our city um, and Swenson's too I watched a documentary recently I think like last week or something like a, a short on the history of Swenson's and it's been a place that um, I know my husband's family has been to many times as a native San Franciscan so um, you know thank you for continuing on and I like the commitment that you have for the next 75 years I'll definitely be a patron for the next 75 years so. <laughs> but um, thank you very much for um, coming in today and thank you very much Rick for helping everybody along this journey Any further comment up here? No? Okay. Well, hearing no further comment, I guess some, we'll need to make a motion. Um, does someone want to bring forth a motion? I'll make a motion to pass all the businesses for legacy. Motion to approve legacy business applications. And I'll second. Yes. Yeah. Seconded by Commissioner Herbert. I'll read the roll. Commissioner Carter is absent. Commissioner Dickerson? Yes. Uh, Commissioner Gregory? Yes. Commissioner Herbert? Yes. President Huey? Yes. Commissioner Ortiz Cartagena? Yes. And Vice President Cisunas? Yes. Motion passes. Congratulations. Item three, Office of Small Business Budget Update. This is a discussion item. The commission will review the fiscal year 2023-24 and fiscal year 24-25 Office of Small, Bu Small Business Budget and Office of Economic and Workforce Development Budget. Presenting today, we have Sarah Dennis Phillips, the Executive Director of OEWD, and Katie Tang, Director of Office of Small Business. Thank you for coming in today, Director, and welcome. Thank you. Welcome. President Huey, Commissioners, really nice to meet you. I'm Sarah Dennis Phillips, um, the brand new, as in 14 days, Executive Director of <laughs> OEWD. Be patient with me. This is my first public presentation, so you guys are the guinea pigs. Um, so if I do anything wrong, uh, let me know. Really psyched to be here. Um, 
I have a lot to learn. Um, my, my background is not in small business. Um, I have a lot to learn. Katie so graciously took me on an expansive, you know, explanation of all the work that her team does and that you all do. Um, took me on a tour both of the Permit Center and our center in City Hall even before I started. So I'm at least hitting the ground running in terms of learning. Um, and before I get into our budget update, I just wanted to note that with regard to the small business successes that you were all championing given the last item, um, that is something that has become clear to me even in the last two weeks. Um, and, and I think it is really a part of the narrative of the doom loop that everybody wants us to combat. Um, I was just right before this, uh, working, giving an interview to a report at the Wall Street Journal. Um, and one of the things, and what was great is he heard and understood this, the point I made and that he heard and understood was that you need to visit our, our neighborhood retail corridors. You need to see what our small businesses are doing in the neighborhood because that is the story of what San Franciscans are feeling and seeing every day, and that's not what the national media is reporting on. And so hopefully we'll keep supporting you in, in getting that word out and getting the visuals out and the actuals, right, of, of, of how much not just activity we're seeing in the neighborhood quarters, but even growth in terms of small businesses, which is really exciting. So I think I'm here to talk about the budget. Um, I, I'm just gonna run through the slides very quickly and then you can ask me any questions at the end. Um, you probably know this better than I do because you have a longer tenure. Um, we are here as an overall office to advance equitable and shared prosperity for San Franciscans by growing sustainable jobs, supporting businesses of all sizes, creating great places to live and work, and helping everyone achieve economic self-sufficiency. Um, we have a number of goals within that, some of which um, you're helping us achieve right now and right here, particularly supporting vibrant neighborhoods by strengthening small businesses and community organizations and by helping us create space for jobs at the local level that people can access. So this is where I go into a little bit of, um, you know, how I see uh, our priorities unfolding over the next couple of years. Um, I'm joining this team at a time when we're actually doing a pretty good job advancing equitable and shared prosperity for San Franciscans. Um, we continue to grow jobs in the city, including food and beverage and hospitality, despite the hits those sectors took during COVID. Um, our workforce team is doing a great job broadening the number of residents who can find opportunity at those jobs. Our small business team, which you guys are a part of, and our community economic development teams are doing such amazing work supporting small and local businesses that I just found out we were named Forbes Best Ball Business City in America, which was really exciting. But even as we continue to expand on these wins, we need to add new work that we weren't expecting would be needed even two years ago. We're seeing a major upset in commercial real estate as we know it, leading to office and retail vacancies, particularly in our downtown. That also is leading to hits in the small businesses that support downtown business, downtown office businesses and leading to less people moving around our city, um, affecting safety in some areas. So with corresponding public safety impacts. Um, so our office, with Mayor Breed's guidance over, over the next couple of years with this budget, are intending to, one, focus on economic recovery. Obviously, the most visible focus area is downtown and its adjacent job centers simply because that's where we're seeing the most structural change and the most pain. Um, and because those areas generate the business taxes and property taxes that allow us to serve the needs of San Franciscans. So we're going to work hard to build back that tax base sustainably. And we have the opportunity, even in the pain that it's doing, to do it thoughtfully in a way that intentionally includes small business and accessible jobs along with pathways to access them. 
Um, we also wanna link those economic recovery efforts to small businesses and to all of our neighborhoods. Um, and this is important because I think often when we talk about a focus on what's missing, we sometimes lose focus on what is and what's working. We need to continue supporting our existing and emerging businesses and our neighborhoods viability as safe and pleasant places to be. Um, with the right focus, we'll keep moving their successes forward. And frankly, that's what's gonna pave the way for the success in downtown and the other areas that are really, um, that are really struggling. And then lastly, it's probably worth noting that we're gonna need to work with outside stakeholders to leverage resources. We're hitting this recovery at a time when our tax base is at um, one of its low points. It's probably gonna get a little lower in coming years. Um, so we have a constrained budget with less resources to do the greater amount of work that we really need to do at this point in time. Um, as you guys well know, we do have amazing partners, great community-based organizations who tirelessly serve our residents, large and small businesses who have committed to the city despite how hard it has been over several years, um, some philanthropists who are really interested in helping us forward, and, we're gonna, and, and we have state and federal partners who are looking at us as a model for the state. So we're gonna have to leverage all of those partners to fill the gaps in our budget from what we don't have locally. Um, and then lastly, I'll close with a note about how OEWD is already doing the work, and I just wanna make sure we're continuing nimbly and flexibly so we're able to address the ever-changing needs of our city. Um, I've watched from the outside OEWD pivot twice over the past few years, from providing services in the face of a speeding economy to addressing critical needs arising from a public health crisis to addressing structural and long-term change to urban areas as we face COVID's wake. We're gonna to need to continue to pivot. Um, we don't know, and I know, you know Katie and her team deals with this every day, and you see it at the commission, what our businesses are gonna need, what our residents are gonna need, and that's gonna to continue to evolve as we see where the city settles out. So we wanna just be flexible, fast, and responsive um, so that we can address those. Just a slide of OEWD overall. We have about 160 FTEs um, with a number of vacancies and new positions that we need to fill. Although, as you can see on the slide, which is kind of exciting, the Office of Small Business um, is staffed up. And I know we'd like to expand that, but at least at this point, you are the, probably, the, I think, the only division except for film that doesn't have vacancies right now. So congratulations. Um, and this is an overview of, of the budgets by division. Um, obviously, the, the lion's share of our budget right now is going to workforce development. You do see a large drop in community economic development up top, but that was due to a one-time funding grant per COVID um, that Deanna achieved and that was never expected to kind of fill our budget permanently. So that's not actually the change that it looks like on paper. This just gives you a little bit of an oversight in terms of um, what type of expenditures we do and the source of our funds, um, largely supported almost 70% by the city's general fund. So the work we all do is also very much affected by how the city's tax base is doing. And then just a little bit about um, outcomes so far, um, how we're doing. Employment assistance, we've enrolled over 6,000 job seekers in employment assistance and training programs um, result, through the last years, resulting in an over 2,500 placements through March. Um, we've launched the Mayor's Economic Recovery Roadmap, 
created a number of activations and brought more visitors to downtown. We launched the Dreamkeeper Initiative, which has to date trained over 700 participants, resulting in 200 new business registrations and 34 new retail locations. And the small business support that we've been able to extend has been pretty massive. 5,700 small businesses have been assisted with grants, loans, and technical assistance. I'm just stating off a slide you guys probably know better than I. Um, and then we have a, you know, I can run through quickly some of the breakdowns in terms of neighborhood investments. This represents the work we're doing in terms of small business grants, activations, and economic recovery initiatives. Um, a lot, these might be com concerts, they might be events like we saw this weekend with the um, welcome light show that was part of the pride parade, those kinds of things. We're continuing to operate four community resource hubs, um, which continue to provide link residents to jobs and services in the mission Bayview, Excelsior, and Viz Valley. We um, are, in terms of a focus on downtown, we have about 3.8 million in the mayor's budget right now looking at specific improvements to Powell Street, both physical improvements to Powell, which is kind of outdated, um, and providing assistance to actually get stores and tenants along Powell Street. One of the things we've been talking about with the Union Square Alliance, which I think is pertinent to your work, is how we can, if we are gonna be introducing new businesses into a lot of the vacancies that we have on Powell Street or other areas of downtown, how can we link that to the work we're already doing for small businesses? How do we make that either a place where some businesses who might have more of a regional business plan or draw might wanna locate, or how do we create the opportunity to showcase a little of San Francisco's neighborhoods in our downtown, right? If we've got a great neighborhood business that wants to have a second location similar to what when they have a presence in the airport or at the giant stadium can we have that presence on powell street and kind of show off what san francisco is so a thing we're thinking about as we think about those activations and um, hopefully you're aware of our ambassador programs they make up a very large part of our budget this year over 50 million um, Right now, they're focused in the mid-market and tenderloin, some in downtown, some at BART stations, and some in the mission. But a good portion of the funding that you see here is somewhat flexible so that we can pivot and place ambassadors, both our safety ambassadors and our welcome ambassadors, where they're most needed as our, our city changes and as we have success in some corridors and we have greater need in others. And I think, Katie, I'm gonna stop here unless you're, I mean, we do have some, I think in this, in this presentation are some tax measures and other things that the mayor included as part of her budget, which I'm happy to get into if you guys are interested, but I don't think it's particularly related. So with that, I'll answer any questions or here to help. Great, thank you so much. Um, Director Tang. Thank you so much um, to our new director of OEWD, uh, Sarah Dennis Phillips. And at this point, I will just run over really quickly um, the Small Business um, Commission Office Small Business portion of the budget. If you wouldn't mind just holding on, just Wait, it'll be very quick. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Thank you, and um, thank you, Carrie, for bringing up the slides. So just give us a minute.
Great. I think we see the slides on the screen. <laughs> All right. All right, so I won't go over th this slide too much. Um, you saw it in um, uh, Sarah's presentation, uh, but I just wanted to highlight here um, our portion of OAWD's budget, uh, mostly consisting of salaries. However, a lot of the resources that we share with small businesses um, is actually housed within the line item that you see under economic development. So most of the grant programs, the funding for community partners is all housed there. So despite the small dollar amount you see here, I just wanted to make sure and point out that the small business resources is not contained solely within the Office of Small Business Division. Next slide. Uh, this just gives you a little overview of what our budget has looked like over the last couple of years, um, keeping in mind that what you see at the last two rows proposed for fiscal year 24 um, through 26 is exactly that it's proposed. And so the uh, Board of Supervisors Budget Committee has not completed their negotiations and wrapped up the budget process yet. So what we have proposed is a modest increase. Um, so we're up at 3.8 million. And um, our um, FTEs um, has grown a little bit to about roughly 12 FTEs, full-time equivalent positions. Uh, we've also had, um, that's also reflective of some of the positions that have transferred over from other divisions within OEWD into our office. But um, like our director mentioned, um, anytime we've had um, new positions available, we have quickly filled them and they have been so valuable to our teams. So we currently have no vacancies. Um, and so we also, unfortunately, though, have no new positions proposed for the next two fiscal years, as though, uh, even though we would love to have additional staff, um, but uh, we are currently um, at the roughly 12 um, uh, FTEs. And you'll see a snapshot here of our incredible team, um, the Office of Small Business, who put so much heart into everything that they do, um, including our San Francisco um, Division of the Small um, Business Development Center, consisting of a director and two staff staff as well. Next slide. Uh, just a quick overview of our last fiscal year, 22-23. Um, so, so far as of June 21st, um, we've handled over 4,400 cases um, in our office amongst our team. And so if you look at, if you compare some of the case numbers um, pre-pandemic, uh, this does closely follow the pre-pandemic trends and represents a roughly 7% increase in cases that we've um, handled since fiscal year 2021-22. And just to give you a little bit of a breakdown of the types of cases that we um, handle in our office, um, it is consistent with what we've seen in the past, which is that over 50% of the cases we uh, manage involve supporting people who are considering starting a business, uh, so meaning pre-startup or in the very initial stage, so in the very beginning zero to one year range. So really helping people get that strong foundation as they're thinking about starting a business, so hopefully we can set them up for success and eventually become a legacy business like you uh, get to um, approve uh, here at this commission. So that's it on my end, just to give you the brief overview of our portion of OEWD's budget. So at this time, um, I will turn it back to our, our president um, to open up to questions for our director or myself. Great, thank you so much, director. Um, any questions from the commission? Um, Commissioner Ortiz Cartagena. Thank you, President Huey. Um, welcome, Director Phillips. 
we're so excited to work with you and, and embark on a journey to, to help San Francisco recover. I want to let you know, even outside of as a commissioner, we're here to help you. You know, I represent a lot of community members, a lot of organizations, but I'm really eager to work with you. And, and we're here. We're a partner. We're here 24-7. We're outside. So we're here for you. Thank you. That's really great. I really appreciate it. And I hope I have the opportunity to meet you more in depth. And I'm really excited to get out on some of the merchant walks that Katie's doing so I can really understand what's happening on ground. Yeah, director's killing it with the merchant walk. She's outside. Like, <laughs> yeah. they know her. <laughs> um, director Tang, um, thank you for the budget update. And I just want to highlight to both and put it on record. Look at such a small investment in small business, right, compared to our, our fiscal budget every year. And look at all the caseloads for 3.8 or 3.5, whatever it is right now. We're servicing around 5,000 small businesses. Just think the dollar, the tax dollar amount that we're either preventing from going under or the ones that we are generating. Like, this is an investment. I think we're the only city department that actually brings you an ROI. Like, maybe they should give us some of DPW's money. <laughs> you know I was going to say, you know, but they've been doing all right. Um, but seriously... Think about it. You know, really, I, I would say they should be doubling your budget. We should be at $10 million. And imagine what we, the work we could do, right? We could we could fix downtown if we just had double the budget. Seriously. Yeah. Because, like I said, bang for your buck. I bet you if we get an economist or somebody from Goldman Sachs, they could figure out the dollar amount that we generate over the 3.5. I guarantee you. And you'd be surprised, the revenue. And in addition, the preventative measures, this body, your office, the legislation we prevent from being rolled out, that's crazy sometimes. That alone, you can't even quantify that. So not because I have a bias, but your office, director, all of us here, we do a lot for the city. And you have some great team members. You have Director Tang. You have Director Ponce de Leon, Josh Arce. I mean, I could go on and on, like, bang for the buck. Not because I have a bias, but I think this department really, really is outside and generates and, and has San Francisco's best interests at heart. So thank you and welcome, vice versa, you know. That was very well said. Vice President Zazunas. Thank you and welcome. I'm Miriam, nice to meet you. Um, thank you both for the presentation and I really appreciate the visuals and it, it does help to like zoom out of of our office and kind of see the bigger s scope and if you could remind me of a couple categories um so workforce development as a big um catch-all and then the um joint development what are those if you could just briefly explain the difference of those Absolutely. Yeah, um, so workforce development is run by Director Arce um, and, and is um, fundamentally really our biggest personnel department as well with almost, I think, 57 staff within that division alone. Um, that's where we really look at um, providing training programs and ramp up programs for jobs in San Francisco, be they small business, be they construction labor positions. Um, be they new industries like our Tech SF initiative where we're looking at on-ramps for technology industries. Um, we also have compliance staff that make sure all of our businesses that exist, particularly 
those who have agreements with the city are meeting the targets that we set for them in terms of hiring locally and hiring from disadvantaged communities and, and really building on ramps um, and training for for companies and trainer CEOs to be able to help us build that workforce moving forward. So that's workforce development. Joint development um, is a little different and joint development is actually where um, I worked at OEWD before I took my hiatus and came back. Um, and that really is, is kind of the major developments and public-private partnerships that we have in the city. Mission Rock, Pier 70, um, Hunters Point Shipyard um, are good examples. Some of our, many of our port projects are also through that where um, our office here at OEWD of Joint Development is looking at negotiating the best deal that they can for our city and our residents when we have a big development coming forward yeah. and helping move that project forward so that we get the jobs happening and the construction yeah. happening and the revenue flowing. Um, the interesting th part about joint developments revenue is much of that actually is coming and you saw that from our apportionment slide of, of where the funds come from. Um, they actually come from actual revenues from developers. So the majority of joint developments business is paid for by those um, master developers themselves to pay for the staff time and the work that that division does. So not general funded. Okay. And then the community economic development, are if that's like the more ground level? Yeah, I mean, it's also small business work, right? But, um, but, okay. but often focused on, on corridors where we've oh. defined that there is a, a specific need or on-ramping needed. And I'm not gonna be able to speak as educatedly about it as I will in a couple of months. I don't know, mm -hmm. Katie, you wanna add to that? Sure. Sure, so I think as I mentioned earlier, um, a lot of the grant programs, for example, you're probably very familiar with SF Shines, which helps businesses with facade improvements um, or um, technical assistance training programs where there's a grant at the end mm -hmm. or whatnot, or even if we have to refer businesses to legal services, for example, mm -hmm. legal services for entrepreneurs or um, the Bar Association of San Francisco, many of the organizations that I know Commissioner Ortiz Cartagena is very familiar with, um, the community-based organizations so um, mm -hmm. that is where a, a large portion of the, the funding sits. So again, um, it's, it's the division formerly known as Invest in Neighborhoods. Oh, got it. Yeah. Okay. Okay, thank you for bringing me up to speed with these acronyms. And last acronym I had a question, or title I had a question on. So Community Recovery Resource Hubs. Is this a new concept? In so I'm gonna do the best I can at yeah. describing these as I've learned in the last two weeks. Yeah. So these are also run out of our workforce division, right, uh -huh. under Director Arce. Uh -huh. um, as I understand it, they began during COVID as actual as actual recovery hubs right. for public health purposes, uh -huh. right? To, to deal with people who um, are either dealing with public health crisis or economic crisis because they lost their job or had no income due to COVID, um, to provide information on rent relief or the, mm -hmm. the, um, the programs that were in place to deal with those immediate impacts. Yeah. As um, COVID changed its presence in San Francisco. I don't want to say subsided or receded because we all know we're still living with some of that. But but as the immediate presence of those public health impacts and job losses um, changed, it, they turned into hubs that are actually providing resource centers overall in terms of some housing resources, but more job resources mm -hmm. for communities. So they have a place to go connect with uh, job advisors, understand the kind of programs that our office in the city offers in terms of jobs and see what's really out there. 
Okay, that's great. And I think that leads me to my actual question, which is, um, so we've been talking a lot in the last couple commission meetings about how we can better support the, the workforce development wing in particular around small business jobs and that, that ecosystem. Um, I think the hubs is something that we would probably, you know, that's the infrastructure that's already kind of built into that. Um, and local, you know, neighborhood-based hiring fairs came up as we were talking about this. Um, but my technical question is, is there staff, and if so, how many within the 57 FTE within workforce that are actually focused on small business job training, small business job um, ecosystem and, and that sort of thing? And this is where you rapidly get out of what I've been able to learn since I've come on board. Um, I'd be happy to kind of work with Director Tang and with Director Arce to have he, uh, him come in and discuss kind of how they deploy their resources. Um, I've had a couple meet and greets with his staff and I was able to walk around and meet everyone, but I can't, I can't sure. fully just speak to that structure. Sounds good. And um, I guess just the last note on that is I see that, you know, future federal funding is part of this. We, we know that there's a big infusion from the federal level with uh, American Recovery Plan and all that that's coming down to counties for workforce development. And my understanding is that San Francisco, um, in which is now being um, administered through the state of California, is in the running for some funding for small business job and, and sm you know, small to medium business <clears throat> job and training. So is that part of the federal funding that, that OEWD is considering? Um, We're doing broad swath, so mm -hmm. absolutely. I mean, that is exactly the type of funds that, that I meant, and I'm sure Director Tang means when we talk about looking outside of what the general fund is support. I, um, I am not familiar with those funds directly, so we can get into specifics and understand how competitive we are and, and how they might actually meet our small business needs and come back to you on that. Okay, yeah, happy to, to fill in some blanks there too. Cool, thank you. Offline, yeah. Director Tang, did you? Thank you. I'll just quickly address some of um, Commissioner Zunis's questions. And we did have Director Arce actually at our recent Small Business Commission meeting here to talk more about um, that division. Um, I would say that their division doesn't break down their work by um, kind of whether they serve small or big businesses. They're actually, um, they break down a lot of their work through by industry. And so, um, uh, we actually, when we heard here and through all the cases that we managed that small businesses were having trouble um, hiring and finding workers, that we partnered with Workforce Division on a huge job fair over that very building. It was a huge turnout. I, I can't even remember how many people there were. I'm blanking at this moment. But um, those are just some of the ways that we try to partner to ensure that, um, you know, small businesses are signed up, for example, on the workforce link so that it, it is essentially, a, as, as mentioned by Director Arce last time, it's a free service for small business employers to find workers um, that's similar to other platforms that you might have heard of. Um, and we're continuing to um, also promote some of the local um, re um, uh, resource centers as well that Workforce has throughout the neighborhoods, and they have job postings um, and also sign-ups for trainings as well. So I just wanted to clarify that that's, um, that's how they break down their work um, in general, high-level terms. Um, and then um, the other question um, was about... I'm sorry, now I'm blanking on your second question. Oh, 
just just if something around the federal funding. But oh, um, my understanding is that that federal funding was spoken for already, so the city has already counted for that. So there's nothing new that I'm aware of this this upcoming fiscal year. Um, so they were accounted for, um, and in fact, that is also why. Um, we, all the departments in the city this year have been asked to reduce a lot more in terms of the budget because in, during COVID, uh, we had a lot more one time or, you know, one or two time, um, federal and state resources to deal with the pandemic and the emergency, but those have gone away for the most part. So I'm not aware of anything new ARPA wise. Um, so, um, if I find out otherwise, of course, I'll let you know. Great. Uh, Commissioner Gregory. Um, I want to say you are rocking it for after 14 days. You are doing a great job. Thank you. Um, I also want to talk about workforce development first. Director Arce is killing it with workforce development. He is, it's a lot with a lot of on the construction sites. They have like the YCDs, APRIs, RDJs. They um, are really making sure that the community is working on all of these construction sites. So they are doing an amazing job with that. Now, as the joint development, and I wasn't gonna bring this up, but since you did, <laughs> um, with the, the public and private uh, jobs, right, are the construction sites or the building of the city. So I am a micro LBE trucking company and and I wasn't going to bring this up, Director Dang, but I, when it got this up, when this was brought up, I could not help it. Um, sorry. So what I think a lot of people are missing is that when it is a public private money, that is building, let's just say, um, well, we can't take Mission Rock because Mission Rock is doing an amazing job with including the LBEs. Uh, I mean, they are doing a really amazing job. And, but other jobs, they're not. And they use it as it, it is privately funded for not to use the local contractors. And that is an issue for us because when especially when it's federally funded, that's the first thing they do is saying we don't have to use San Francisco LBEs, we can use anybody in the state or in the country because it is federally funded. So that is to me, I'm never gonna stop advocating for this, is that we, we small companies, small businesses, we hire the community. So when we hire the community, all of our money goes back into the community. And it is frustrating to see that contractors who are making millions of dollars in the city of San Francisco have a way out to not use contractors in the city of San Francisco, especially minority truck, minority companies. Um, so I would like to see some kind of support about that. I don't really know how it is played out. I know I can tell you that um, Treasure Island, even though they're not doing it, in their work development agreement, it, or their development agreement, it says that San Francisco LBEs should be looked at before SBEs, before people outside of the state. We are already having a hard time with bidding against people from Livermore, uh, Vallejo, 
because their costs are not as much as our costs in the city. So I would like in somewhere in OEWD, whether it's, uh, you know, work development is completely different than contracts. And somewhere if there could be some kind of wording that is gonna support the contractors in the city of San Francisco. I don't know how that looks. I'm just saying that I, I know that it is a huge, huge issue. Um, can I ask just so sure. I can be more sure. educated when I try to research this? Yeah. You're, you're noting that basically if there is state or federal dollars flowing into one of these development projects, that that then supersedes, allows them to supersede the local hiring requirement with? So not local hire requirement okay. is completely different than local contracts. Right. Okay. Yes. So yes, they can say that this is a S, this is a SBE project. So I can work with somebody in LA instead of somebody in San Francisco. Okay. Or Livermore or whatever. I can tell you um, Mission Rock, the Mission Rock partners are doing an amazing job. They and the Giants, they are huge supporters of the LBE community, especially um, District 10 community. They, are, they have been rock stars in this. It would be great to see every privately funded project like that. Um, and, and I don't know how does that look? How, how does, you know, for us, when you talk about equity on the ground, we don't see that. We see that all of this money coming into the city of San Francisco of the billions of dollars getting, you know, for construction or developers, that money, most of that money is not being in San Francisco. It is outside, that money goes outside of San Francisco. It's, um, it's incredibly helpful to hear you explain that. It's also, um, I just want to note that it's, it's really gratifying to hear your words about Mission Rock. I actually, that is the company I came from in order to take oh. this job. Um, and, and, I can, and, I, and I was able to see firsthand how we um, in our development company ad addressed those requirements. And, it, and it, took, it took intention and it took staff time, but it was well worth it. I mean, I can say that everyone in our development firm on the Giant side and on the Tishman Spire side feels an incredible amount of pride of what we've been able to achieve, and it's part of the vision of the project. Um, it'll be interesting to think about ways of how do we convey that spirit to other and, people. And I know um, the port, port also had a lot to do with yeah. the Port Commission. So yeah. yes, I mean, since you've come from that, you know how it looks yeah. on paper, right? How it really, looks in real life what it is about inclusion and equity and diversity. So yes, I'm excited now. I'm more excited now <laughs> to thank, see thank what you this for can that. bring. Yeah, we'll look into it. Uh, thank you. Uh, Commissioner Ortiz Cartagena. I'm just gonna ditto what Commissioner Gregory said, like the LBE program, yeah, they, they play the game. They'll, they'll bring somebody they make up as an SBE from Wisconsin or something, bring them in. And those are extractors, going back to the extractors. The Giants, they do it well, because they're from San Francisco, seriously. They're an organization that cares about the city, and it shows, right? If you want to do it right, keep the dollars in San Francisco, you're going to do it right. If you're an extractor, you're going to extract the money. So, But that's not what I was asking to speak on. It's just you got me pumped, Commissioner, you got me pumped. <laughs> um, I, I just wanted to expand on the, on the, the resource hubs. 
I'd be remiss if I don't say, especially being a member of the Latino Task Force during the pandemic, those resource hubs were just, they saved our community. The Latino community had the highest rate and we replicated the model, right? It was, we built the plane as, as we were flying it and those were invaluable. Like, and what happened in those resource hubs and the development, like yes, at the beginning it was COVID focused, now it's really recovery focused. Like Glecha, an organization I founded was born out of those resource hubs and small business incubation and, and where to get the resources for small business, that's huge now. I mean, the director of Glad here and she could attest like, it's just huge the amount of small entrepreneurs, especially our youth entrepreneurs that come to these resource hubs. And when they start looking for jobs, they see the entrepreneur, the small business, they'll be like, you know what, I'm gonna create my own job. And, and it's just amazing, like that $2 million, bang for your buck. To disseminate and be in community, if you really look at these hubs, they're in the depths of the community, like in the heart of the community. And I don't think any other city program can, can reach the community as well as these um, resource hubs do. So I just, I just wanted to highlight that out for, for the commission and, and director. Thank you. Any other comments? I have just one question. I know that we skipped over the, the tax or the proposals that might be coming down the line. Are those things that are having to go before the Board of Supervisors? Yeah, I'm, I'm happy to give a little oversight. I just didn't, I didn't know if they were interested. I just had a question about, yeah, the tax, the commercial tax one, I would love just a quick. Yeah, I, so um, yeah. the mayor has put forward um, two proposals mm -hmm. which are being considered by the board um, and, um, and may or may not make it out of committee to the full board. Um, the first one um, was an attempt to right-size um, Prop C, which right now provides um, a tax um, both on initial leases for commercial real estate and on subleases for commercial real estate. So um, in the instance of today where we have, um, unfortunately, a lot of companies who have a space under contract, under a lease, but aren't using it and are trying to put it out for sublease, um, the space will be taxed twice. So if it is subleased, it will it will pay the same tax twice. Um, I think it was a, uh, a common sense proposal just to have not to not have a duplicative tax that that puts a puts our tax system in negative light when we're trying to appeal to uh, recovery that the mayor put forward. Um, so that is that is one change um, being looked at by the board of supervisors. The other is a proposal for a gross receipts tax holiday for new businesses for their first three years in San Francisco if they have not had a business in San Francisco to date as an incentive moving forward. Um, and so we'll see. I think the board is gonna take more public comment on those tomorrow maybe um, and, and they will, they will um, be passed out of committee perhaps next week with either an approval or, or a decline. Okay, is the commercial, um, the commercial s space one, um, does that have like parameters of size of the commercial? In terms of the gross receipts tax holiday or, or no, the, the sublease? The sublease, yeah. No, it's, it's just simply to say that if, if the space is already being taxed once, that it wouldn't be taxed a second time. Um, I, you know, there, it, I will note that there was a significant amount of debate about that one before the Board of Supervisors, so. I'm sure, that's why I was curious. Yes. I missed that one. Yes. <laughs> okay, so um, thank you for helping me understand that. Great, I just had a 
couple of comments, I think. Um, I was curious, I guess, like now that we're talking about some of these issues, I wanted, to, and, and that you're here, I, I'm still sorry, trying to gather my thoughts from everybody's comments. They were so good. Um, you know, how, I guess, how can we, I guess putting it out there that, like, I would like to say that we're, we would like to be involved in the, the future planning of the city. I think we've heard that from everybody up here that keeps coming through in all of our conversations, coming up in my mind that we are really resourceful people <laughs> and, and have, and, um, and not just us up here, but small business owners in the city, you know, like, um, they're very solutions oriented and love the city so much. And I hope that, you know, we can tap this resource even further. Um, one of the challenges that has come up in a lot of conversations has been kind of like TI improvements, like thinking a lot about um, how we would love for neighborhoods, businesses to be able to take the opportunity to come into a downtown space and like be able to open up a second location or for new um, young entrepreneurs to kind of think about, um, you know, playing out their dreams or, or anybody, right? Anybody who has this idea and wants to take it into the world. Like we've, I think through the vacant to vibrant, um, you know, opportunity, we've seen that there, there are tons and tons of creative ideas in the city. I think a lot of barriers are oftentimes the, the capital needed to make the TI improvements in order to get into a space. And then we start to look into other barriers in terms of like um, cost of, living for our our salary for our employees and things like that but the initial kind of cost of ti improvements oftentimes i mean just to open up any store you're looking at a lot of money like <laughs> i'm i hesitate to put any numbers out there because it really varies but it it shouldn't be cost prohibitive in many ways to be able to come into a vacant storefront um and so i think you know, I would have some interest in getting into some of these nuances and just like, you know, Commissioner Gregory was detailing about the LBE issues. I think a lot of the reason why we're not seeing like all these dots connecting are because of these actual like nuanced kind of issues. And we as a, as a city haven't really come to a point of like, how do we fix those little things? You know, it's like we're we're too busy thinking about the the problem itself and yelling about the problem itself, but it's like, well, there are all these barriers that make it very difficult for somebody to find, you know, a hundred to five hundred thousand dollars to invest into a business initially for whatever length lease. You know, so I think um, having more conversations like like this and talking to people who are really um, seeing things in the detailed um, while understanding kind of the overall landscape is a great opportunity that I've had as part of this commission. And I would love to be able to, you know, create more forums like that for you um, as you're, you know, as, as you're moving through this too. Because I, I think all of us are very hopeful about the city and hopeful about, you know, um, our, I guess recovery, but I think it's more so just like how we move forward, you know. 
Um, and let's see. I think, oh, that, I just had a note, too, that, like, in doing that, too, thinking about the TI, not just the investment, but also how can OEWD also partner with other um, departments, like, or at least have more communication with other departments in terms of, like, Department of Public Works and, um, and I mean, basically, like, opening a small business, you have to almost, like, deal with all these different departments, which makes us a little bit unique in our situation, is that we we're asking small business owners to get involved with other departments and understand how those work. I think we kind of need to know how to do that on a, on a more, um, I don't know, on a higher level to be able to assist people. Because it's not enough to be able to send somebody to Department of Public Works or wherever and say, okay, well, you figure this out. So I think somehow creating um, maybe more fluid pipelines for um, for that type of relationship um, and yeah those were just I think a few things that I had in terms of like just welcoming you to <laughs> your, your new position and like being very excited that you're here as well so thank you I mean you. I, I, I just want to respond to what you said because I do think there are some actionable items that you just touched on that I'd really like to work on with the team I mean one of them um, We've seen, I've seen clearly that um, while we have a good economic recovery roadmap, we'll, what we haven't done a great job on is um, working, having community-based input and support for the actual tactics and strategies that come out of those broad goals, right? How do we work together on the program that comes out of it? And I think um, Powell Street is an example. We, we have about two million funded for tenant improvements specifically because we're, we're very clear that that is a barrier to some new investments. We're also very clear that two million isn't gonna be enough. Um, just going back to Mission Rock, I, you know, that we, um, when I left, uh, Mission Rock was very close to, I think we had about 13 small and local businesses almost in lease for kind of ground floor spaces. But the way we were able to do that was putting in somewhere between $100 and $200 a square foot of the development's money towards the TIs, and in many cases offering um, participation, I mean, participation-based rents that were based on the success of the company, and that's kind of how it moved forward. Um, one of the things that we're hoping to do with property owners in parts of San Francisco where we're seeing high vacancies is try to roll out some of those same tools. And what I'm hearing at least on Powell um, and Market Street is that business building owners who've been there for a long time and aren't going anywhere, and frankly their buildings aren't worth much, so they're not gonna sell them, are really invested in putting and bringing some of their resources to the fore to getting tenants, um, including small business tenants on the ground floor because they know there's no other way of doing it um, than really putting those tools forward. Um, so would really love to work with you all, you know, just going back to that two million on Powell Street as an example, and we have other pots of money in our budget that are that are less specifically directed and more for small business in general. Um, we'd like to work with the small business community to really understand what's the best way to deploy that money, especially if it's not gonna be the, the full amount needed for a TI. Um, how do we make sure we're not giving it to you a way that provides other red tape and other contracting requirements that actually make it hard to execute those dollars towards the tenant improvements that somebody needs. Um, and so I'd love to create some working groups so that we, as we move in from goals to kind of tactics and actual strategies, we're doing that in the right way. Um, so just want to respond on that. And then, you know, the other point about interdepartmental communication, 
that's also high on my radar, something I've heard a lot about. I mean, so things as simple as having streetscape improvements or street closures or fairs that are impacting, you know, parades that are impacting some of our small businesses, not coordinating when we're closing a BART station or when we're closing a sidewalk because we're doing street improvements when it might be hitting a business in terms of its worst part of recovery. Um, so it's a, it's a goal to try to improve that coordination so that, um, and, I, and I like that you didn't call it recovery. We need a better word for future um, that, it, that doesn't sound so negative, I think. Um, I think that is, that is a goal for OEWD to do the convening um, so that we can look at the other aspects that support small business that are outside of our portfolio and make sure we're all on the same page. Great, thank you so much. That really kind of helped make things much more clear in my head. <laughs> I mean, I don't have the answers. That's why I so appreciate the offer and, and, and we really do want to work with you as we build that forward, so thank you. Um, any other comments here? Can you just define what the participation-based rents means? Yeah, it, you know, it's it's a strategy of, of basically the rent is based on um, the amount of profit that a business makes. So so the building owner participates um, in the revenue. And so if a business is not doing well, there could be as little as no rent. And when a business is succeeding, there's a greater amount of rent. Thank um, you. It's something the city does often on its, um, you know, w when we own spaces um, across the city as well. Okay, that, thank you. It's okay, the extractors, they're going to lose their buildings pretty soon because their loans are resetting, so we'll be all right. Bye well, bye, but extractors. We're them a tax break. <laughs> <laughs> well, public comment? Thank you. Okay. Oh, any callers? There are no callers. Are there any public commenters in the room? Nope. Nope. Perfect. So seeing no public comment, um, I think that is not an action item. So I guess we're, we're good. So thank you very much for attending today and thank sharing you. so much. Welcome. Thanks for taking <laughs> all of our Item four, Board of Supervisors filed 223064, waiver of permit license and business registration fees for certain small businesses. This is a discussion and action item. The commission will hear and possibly take action on an ordinance amending the business and tax regulations code to waive retroactively to July 1st, 2023, certain first year permit, license, and business registration fees for specified small businesses that newly form or that open a new location and refunding any waived fees that have been paid to the city. Uh, presenting today is Katie Tang, Director, Office of Small Business. Thank you, Director Tang. All right, thank you. I'm here to present on behalf of, um, also in partnership with our Treasurer and Tax Collector's Office, uh, which has been managing this program. Um, just a little refresher, this is a program that started uh, during the pandemic um, in 2021, um, November 2021, um, thanks to um, advocacy um, and sponsorship by Supervisor Ronan and Mayor Breed. And so uh, it waives the permit fees for uh, businesses that are either starting new in San Francisco between a certain time frame, um, and then also uh, for anyone who wants to expand also into a new location in San Francisco. Uh, I will just say that on the ground um, through our small business permit specialists in our office, this program has been incredibly valuable um, for businesses that are 
especially starting out new and are not generating any revenue yet, to have to fork up thousands of dollars uh, in permit fees to the city at that point in time, um, you know, is extremely challenging. I don't think I need to tell you that, but um, this program, again, has been so valuable and critical um, to helping us get more businesses excited about starting here. So what this legislation does is it, it proposes to expand the program by um, five years. Um, however, this is all in motion right now with the Board of Supervisors budget uh, negotiations. So um, currently the expansion of the funding is included in the first year, um, so fiscal year 23-24. Uh, we are still awaiting whether uh, the Board of Supervisors through the ne their negotiations um, will also include funding for the second year. Um, but either way, I will just say that our office will be keeping an eye on this program and we intend to continue to advocate for its, um, its indefinite um, uh, continuance. And um, also just to share that uh, one, or I guess two major changes to this program that is in this ordinance is that it would exclude home-based businesses and short-term rentals. So just making it clear because there were some questions that came up um, throughout the initial rollout of the program. And also, since uh, the program has, um, has been launched, um, over 4,000 businesses have enrolled in this program, and uh, approximately $1.5 million in fees have been waived. So again, um, small investment from the city, huge impact for the small business entrepreneurs. So um, happy to answer any questions that you have. And again, as you know, it's all kind of pending um, at the Board of Supervisors budget process right now, too. Do we have any questions? I have a question really quick. Is So are we making a motion on? Yeah, on this is a, a legislative review. So okay. you can decide to support or amend, support with amendments. <laughs> so yeah, we'll take some commissioner comment, comments and questions first. So Commissioner Ortiz Cartagena. Everyone got came off until you, you went. Oh. Um, I just want to again highlight the 1.5 waiver. I bet you if we quantify the tax revenue that these small businesses are now bringing, like you can't beat these investment returns. And then I just, I'm always going to highlight that because that's the stuff that comes out of our office. So great job. Like, love it. Commissioner Herbert. I highly, highly support it as well. And I was just wondering why the supervisors, beyond the obvious reason, why they wouldn't be amenable to um, extending it. Uh, right now, it's really just an issue of funding. I think the desire is there to continue the program. So it's really just about the trade-offs of all the different investments um, in small businesses and economic development. So it's just a matter of, of that broader um, negotiation. I know where we could get that funding <laughs> from. <laughs> Any other comments or questions? Okay. Seeing no other questions or comments, do we want to take public comment? Is there any public comment in the room or online? You can press star three to be added to the queue. There is no public comment. Great. I think, are we ready to make a motion? I'll move. I'll second. Motion by Commissioner Ortiz Cartagena to recommend this uh, 
Legislation seconded by Commissioner Dickerson. I'll read the roll. Commissioner Carter is absent. Commissioner Dickerson? Yes. Commissioner Gregory? Yes. Commissioner Herbert? Yes. President Huey? Yes. Commissioner Ortiz Cartagena? Yes. And Vice President Cezunas? Yes. Motion passes. We were in a race to try to pass this one. Really <laughs> <laughs> we were like, yes, oh. let's do this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Thank you, Director, for your leadership and all that. Yes, thank you. Item five, Board of Supervisor file 230701, citywide expansion of allowable commercial restaurant and retail uses. This is a discussion and action item the commission will hear and possibly take action on an ordinance amending the planning code to permit additional commercial retail and restaurant uses on the ground floor in certain neighborhood commercial districts and residential districts, principally permit flexible retail on the ground floor and NCDs in Chinatown mixed use districts and uh, many other things. Presenting, we have Katie Tang, Director, Office of Small Business, and I'll, I'll put the slide up. Yes, thank you again, Director Tang. <laughs> All right, thank you so much. And I also want to thank Carrie, our Commission Secretary and Policy Analyst, for also her partnership and work on this. Um, so we work with the Mayor's Office and um, also some co-sponsors, Supervisor Ingardio, Dorsey, and Malgar, on legislation to help make it easier for small businesses to uh, open or adapt and pivot here in San Francisco. So it does make uh, over 100 changes to the planning code. I won't go through every single line item, don't you worry, <laughs> but really just want to keep in mind um, that all of those changes really boil down to five goals. So reducing the number of barriers um, that small businesses experience when they're trying to open a new storefront or expand into a new space. We also, especially in this challenging time, want to give businesses more um, flexibility in what they can do. So whether you're new or maybe you're existing and you want to try out new concepts, we want to make sure that our planning code doesn't get in the way of you experimenting and offering that different unique experience that now so many customers are demanding. Um, you know, it's, it's not just about what I call static retail. It's like you've got to offer that experience or something unique that will get people to go out and, and be motivated to go physically into your store. We also, um, thirdly, want to principally permit more uses. So for example, we looked at every single zoning table in <laughs> San Francisco. They're all so unique. And um, we wanted to <laughs> see where areas that um, either didn't permit certain types of uses or still required a conditional use, for example, for restaurants. That doesn't really make sense anymore. Um, and we just want to make it easier and remove all of that because by changing uses to being principally permitted, uh, you are eliminating so much time, which time equals money um, and process. So uh, removal of process. So that's uh, what we did as well. Uh, we are also um, proposing to um, allow more business use types on the ground floor. So um, there are some restrictions um, in what can be uh, located on the ground floor commercial spaces. And so um, that we think will help us with filling more uh, ground floor commercial vacancies, which everyone has been asking and talking about. And then lastly, uh, we also recognize it's been a challenging time for venues. Um, and so we wanted to be able to address that through uh, some of the changes in either um, um, you know, how their permitting process works, um, as well as some of the outdoor patios that um, are currently in existence uh, for many of these um, venues or even um, restaurants. 
So those are the five goals. Um, and so next slide. Um, I won't go into every single um, detail here, but um, in terms of allowing more business uses on the ground floor as principally permitted, uh, we namely wanted to expand what is called flexible retail use citywide. And that essentially gives the business the opportunity to change between six different uses. Um, and, um, you know, examples of that, our favorite one is we love the plant shop that also sells coffee. And let's say maybe one day I don't want to sell coffee anymore, but I want to do something else and maybe I wanted to have an arts use um, instead. And to be able to do that without having to come back before the city for all these additional permits that then could trigger other regulatory requirements. So um, flexible retail currently is only allowed in half of the city. So we wanted to make sure to expand it to the other half of the city and also make it principally permitted on the ground floor. At the same time, um, in terms of flexibility, we were just clarifying in the planning code that you can have multiple uses permitted on site as well. My favorite one that I learned from a merchant walk was this retail shop that sells clothing and bags and in the back they've got a barber shop. And so um, we're just clarifying that that is possible as long as you establish the, the multiple uses, but you can have that and it doesn't have to be limited to certain square footage. So for example, if you add what is called accessory use under planning code, you might be limited in the size of what the accessory use provides um, and then the principal use is a larger footprint so this um, when we're clarifying that multiple uses can be on the same site we're not restricting you to a certain square footage for each of the uses that you have um, and and with both flexible retail and what I just said we're still respecting the zoning of that particular district as well um, and then um, also in terms of the types of uses that can be on the ground floor uh, previously, what is known under planning code as professional services um, were not allowed on the ground floor. And um, I want to make the clarification that this is not the same as office use, but professional services might include things like accounting office or a legal service or architecture firm um, and what have you. Um, and still really draws the, the foot traffic. You know, if, you're, if I'm going to my accountant, I might go and stop by the coffee shop on that same block or, the, or that clothing shop. Um, so we want to be able to um, um, allow those on the ground floor principally permitted and no longer distinguish between whether you um, are having kind of that constant open door foot traffic or not. It's just you're all just called professional services rather than distinguishing between whether you're offering retail or not. Next slide, um, as mentioned, um, there have been some restrictions on restaurants, limited restaurants, which are known as, um, you know, more popularly known as cafes, coffee shops, and then also bars. Um, so some neighborhoods have um, either caps or restrictions, and those include neighborhoods like Chinatown, Haight Street, um, Jackson Square, and Terrell Street. Um, and for example, new bars are currently not permitted um, or are restricted along Haight Street, Jackson um, Square, Pacific Avenue, Sacramento Street, Union Street, and in the Mission. And so the ordinance will lift restrictions on bars in uh, most of those areas. And I'm sorry, I think there's just a, a, a little typo there. We will not be changing um, the restriction on Mission. However, um, the cap will be increased from uh, 167 to 179. 
Next slide. Um, recently, the state adopted a new liquor license type. It's called the Type 90. Um, and so businesses in San Francisco can already actually apply for the Type 90. Um, it's just that we haven't in our local San Francisco planning codes uh, adapted our language so that it actually fits the Type 90. So. Um, the Type 90, what it does, it's, it's the music venue liquor license, and it authorizes the sale of beer, wine, and distilled spirits at retail uh, for consumption um, in a music entertainment facility. And one key feature we wanted to point out is that um, it allows for minors to be on the premises. And I think that that opens up the opportunity for venues that are really struggling right now to be able to have um, you know, family-friendly type events and just open to a broader audience. Um, next slide, uh, we do want to create a path for the legalization of long-standing outdoor patios. Um, currently, if you cannot demonstrate that you've had a permit pulled for your outdoor patio, um, even though it's in existence, you would have to go through a conditional use authorization process. And so, um, yeah, again, you might be wondering why we're addressing outdoor patios, but so many of you, and especially during the pandemic, have really enjoyed that outdoor space. And so um, if you can demonstrate that you've had your outdoor um, patio for at least 10 years, and it could be through a variety of means, um, you know, maybe you have some documentation that you paid for a contractor to, to create this, or you have photos with date or timestamps, um, then we wouldn't um, um, require you to go through a conditional use authorization uh, process. Next slide. Um, so uh, neighborhood notification has always been a very challenging thing because um, it just it adds time, so at least 30 days that you have to uh, put out a notice to the, the surrounding community, but then also another period of time of 30 days to open the window for an appeal process uh, for you know maybe one neighbor to object to a business that you're proposing. Um, back in 2020, voters voted on Proposition H, the Save Our Small Businesses initiative, which removed that neighborhood notification requirement if I'm changing, so for example, um, I'm going from a coffee shop to a plant shop instead. So I'm going from limited restaurant to retail sales and services. That is considered a change of use. And previously, you would have had to go through that whole notice process that I just described. Proposition H removed that requirement for change of use projects in most of the city. You see here on the map, um, in the areas highlighted in yellow, that was removed. Um, in parts of the eastern neighborhoods, which you see in, sorry, eastern neighborhoods mixed-use districts, which is highlighted in magenta on this map here, um, neighborhood notification still applies for projects that are changing um, use. So we are just expanding what is already true from Proposition H um, to uh, the rest of the city, um, again, highlighted in magenta. And then next slide, um, this is our final slide here. Um, we want to be able to help nighttime entertainment, bars and restaurants benefit from uh, priority processing at the planning department and the commission. So right now under the planning department, there's a program uh, called the Community Benefit Priority Processing Program, also known as CB3P. Um, and so if you are eligible for this program, then, and you need a conditional use authorization for your project, what it guarantees is that you would be able to get a hearing date at the Planning Commission within 90 days of submitting a complete application, and you get to be on the consent agenda. So it helps really speed along that process, because otherwise you could be waiting months to just even get on the agenda for the Planning Commission. So what we would like to do under this legislation is allow nighttime entertainment uses, bars, 
and restaurants that have full liquor licenses, they're currently excluded from this program, allow them to participate in this expedited review. So you still have the neighborhood notification, you still have this public hearing, you still have an appeal process. We just wanna help at least minimum get you um, into the planning commission queue a lot earlier. So, um, and many of these businesses, they, they are all, for the majority, they are small businesses. So um, that is in a nutshell, the 100, over 100 changes to the planning code. Um, the legislation is, has been introduced. It will, the next step is that it'll go to the Planning Commission in early September before it then goes to the Board of Supervisors Land Use Committee and then to the full board. So we are looking at a couple months um, and, and, and until this could potentially even be adopted. Uh, but in the meantime, wanted to make sure that you have the full information and we're happy to answer any detailed questions as well. Great, thank you. Commissioner Herbert. Thank you, and that's amazing, <laughs> amazing, because um, you know I've built uh, three restaurants from the ground up in San Francisco, and every single time it took a year, every, because of conditional use permitting, or we would have building or planning come out and say, well, you can only be a full service restaurant, and so we'd be like, okay, what, what do we have to do, you know? and all these little things that just slow it, everything down. So um, I commend you and the work on that because you really kind of targeted the things that slow everybody down, so thank you. And my question is also, so that, that does that mean there'll be less conditional use permits required? Yeah. There certainly will be less. Uh, we wish we could eliminate all of it, but we <laughs> have not. Okay. We've tried to pick where we think it makes a lot of sense. Again, if we see that a restaurant is uh, requiring conditional use, that doesn't make sense to us. But we do know that, again, there are certain neighborhoods where liquor licenses um, still require the CU. So if you have a restaurant and you're adding a liquor license, you, you still will have to go through that. Sure, because you can't be near a church or a school or all that good stuff. So my next question, really quickly, was about the moratorium on liquor licenses in San Francisco, um, which has driven up the cost of a liquor license. I mean, currently, the city is not issuing any new licenses, so existing licenses can be moved around, right? Mm -hmm. They can be relocated. But that is driving the cost of a liquor license, a full liquor license, up to about 250000 per license because the people that have those licenses, of course, want to, you know, mm -hmm. benefit by selling them. But I just was wondering about the moratorium. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, there is actually um, someone in OEWD um, who has been managing all of that, um, both locally and at the state level. And so he would be much more um, knowledgeable than I to speak to that. So I'd love to connect you maybe um, after this meeting to great. find out what the status is at the moment. Thank you. And thank you for your amazing strategic development. <laughs> Commissioner Ortiz-Cartagena. I just have two comments. Um, thank you, Director and Secretary, for all this work that y'all did. This is boring, boring stuff, but so <laughs> essential. I'm serious, planning, nobody likes looking at these codes and tables and SUDs and cultural <laughs> districts and all this, but this is what makes the city. And I think we've, we've layered all these unnecessary 
codes and conditional uses that really hamper business in general, not only small business, but all business. So I thank you for that. And I also want to commend you, like in particular for the mission, there's a lot of sensitivity around a lot of stuff, right? Because of gentrification and past bad practices and the efforts that you two took to reach out to community. I mean, really, like it should be almost a case study, like SFMTA should come and, and, and look at what you guys do. You two really went back and forth and it was thoughtful and, and engaging and I just wanna commend you because I know in my neighborhood we could be difficult, but trust me, it's because we, we're scarred with trauma and, and for you to take all this initiative and, and really break down the code and, and do way above and beyond, I, I appreciate and I just wanna really commend that and put that on record. Thank you so much. I don't know about you, but I love reading the planning code, so <laughs> this was not boring for me. <laughs> <laughs> Vice President Zunas. Thank you, and yes, thank you, everyone, for your work on this. Um, because it is a little confusing, if you could help me um, understand if I'm trying to look at um, on-site alcohol and off-sale alcohol, um, given that the, for me that's an equity question if there's more allowances for on on premise um, and uh, usually that's a, a larger capital entity um, so I wanted to understand um, since I know particularly the mission has been dealing with a, um, a particular limit on off sale um, and I see that we're limiting the on the on premise is that also going to affect the off sale um, for the Mission District, um, we, there is a cap just in general on liquor licenses. Uh -huh. So um, we actually don't touch the on-sale, off-sale in the Mission. But in the uh -huh. Hate, for example, there's actually a restriction. It's not permitted um, on-sale or off-sale. So what we do is we say you can, or the proposal is that um, they would be allowed with a conditional use authorization, though. For both? For both. Okay. Mm -hmm. That's the only place that I, I can remember that we specifically touch on on-sale, off-sales, hate street, but mm -hmm. um, maybe Carrie can correct me if I'm wrong. <laughs> okay, so the, the mission cap that's increased is just... For liquor licenses for in general. For liquor licenses in general. Okay, not just bar. Yeah, I mean, we, we, we just, um, in our description here, we talk about restaurants and bars, but in the mission specifically, it has to do with um, well, their cap has to do with restaurants and bars, and so okay. it's just liquor licenses in general. Okay. So this isn't going to impact, like, a, a business that's, like, a specialty grocery or a cafe that wants, the, that's still dealing with the moratorium of the licenses in general? In like, the mission or elsewhere? Um, in the mission. We'll stick to that case study, yeah. Um, in the mission, they, yeah, if they need a new liquor license, then they will be subject to the, the mission, um, you know, whether it's a cultural district, um, special use district, or the mission um, alcohol special, sorry, the SUD. mission alcohol NCT. <laughs> They're different names. Um, yeah, so they okay. will be restricted based on that cap. Imposed. So then what is the increase? So the increase is to allow, so going from 167 uh -huh. to 179 total restaurants and bars in the mission, like the prescribed areas where the, where the cap currently applies. So okay. currently, if you're thinking about opening a restaurant in the mission, you typically have to check with planning to see if that cap has been met. And this huh. allows more restaurants or 
limited restaurants or bars to open, like based on that cap. So okay, so that doesn't have to do it, with the liquor license. Well, I mean, it does in that what you're opening requires a liquor license, but it doesn't change the feasibility of getting the actual liquor license. It's very confusing. <laughs> well, because um, um, in, under the planning yeah. code, um, the definition of like what distinguishes yeah. a, a restaurant mm -hmm. and a limited restaurant is whether you have a liquor license, uh -huh. right? So, um, so for the mission, there is a cap for restaurants, which means that that restaurant is serving not only food, but they also have a liquor license. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think what might be confusing is that we're saying liquor license and we mean liquor, beer, or and or wine. So while it's easy to get easier to get a beer and wine license, liquor licenses are still hard to get. If that so makes yeah, sense. with the, the liquor license, for all of them. Yeah, the liquor license you could only get actual liquor. See, I don't consider beer and wine liquor. Mm -hmm. I just know that there's specialty like grocery stores who have been trying to get wine licenses for like decades in the mission and then i just want to make sure we're not like doing allowances for only restaurants for for like liquor licenses and so limiting not them. liquor yeah. license beer and wine yeah. which has to be tied to a full service restaurant not liquor liquor there's Sorry. only you can't even move another liquor license from so, other parts of the city uh -huh. into the mission so so this is a increase on beer and wine licenses I'm, restaurants I'm okay. for restaurants and bars okay mm -hmm. okay yeah uh my question was just answered which was can you relocate an existing liquor license to mission and that's no right okay Yeah, the, the relocation thing, just as a note for us to think about, like I've definitely seen how um, Soft Story and, and other, other things had, have moved or have forced um, a business with a, a liquor license to move and then they found another spot like in the corridor but weren't able to take their licenses with them and they had to go to an appeals hearing. And I will never forget this appeals hearing because the Department of Public Health was the one trying to make sure the small business couldn't keep their license. And there were people on the appeals board who had been part of the redevelopment agency. And this was in Bayview in particular. It was a community serving business too. It wasn't just like any corner store. It was um, a community serving business. And the whole community came out and, and the people on the, on the uh, appeal board told the Department of Public Health and kind of to the city, these kinds of restrictions are undoing commercial development because this is a business that the community wants to stay and a simple like relocation issue wasn't was prohibiting them from from reopening like down the block so is there still like i mean how do we how do we like prevent that kind of situation happening i will just say that um you know, these certainly are proposals um, that, you know, I know everyone has been receptive here, um, may not necessarily be the case in the community. Um, and there are lots of diverse opinions um, and why the planning code has ended up the way it has is because of all the different um, desires um, from community, right? And so uh, we definitely tried our best with the recommendations we have. We wish we could go further. Um, but I think this is um, this is as far as we thought we could push for this set of um, legislative changes. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm just thinking like, is there still like CU is the exception for some? Like if they if they um, 
there's still an avenue if there happens to be a relocation issue, like they can still go to appeals hearing like that avenue is not. Uh, we haven't, we don't touch that yeah. part at all in this legislation. So whatever is the current process will still remain. Huh. Okay, thank you. Um, I just had a few questions. Um, well, I have not um, expressed my gratitude yet. I kind of like get so caught up in the question making, but um, thank you very much. I think my my question really is like, how how do you do this? Like, you know, I mean, like in the last comment, I kind of talked about the nuances being the thing that kind of like hangs up a lot of um, projects, a lot of people's initiatives and, and things like that. Like this piece of legislation is huge. This is a huge undertaking. Like how, how do you even do this? Is it because you love reading this? <laughs> like we have such a dream team. So, I mean, I don't know. It's not really a rhetorical. I really want to know, like, how do you do this? <laughs> we did actually read all the tables together. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I will say, you know, we're certainly, we're just at the start of, the, of this project or this um, proposal. So we do need your help. And, um, you know, I think as Commissioner Ortiz uh, Cartagena mentioned, it's, it's easy to gloss over planning code, but it's so important because when you get stuck, um, it might be that, it might be something else. This is just one piece of many different things we have observed that have tripped up people in their, in their process of opening or expanding or just trying to do something different in their existing store. So, um, you know, we, yeah, we certainly need your help at the Planning Commission and at the Board of Supervisors, just, and, and talking to your community members because again, they may not, you know, want to read the zoning tables, and that's okay, we totally understand, but you are all our ambassadors in trying to help them understand why some of these changes are so important. Director, and I, if I could just add to that, it, like this is really equitable, because like in the mission, you sign a lease, and then you find out you can't open what you signed the lease for, and usually you're a sole proprietor, not an LLC or Inc., and you go under personally, you lose your house. Like what she, Director and Secretary are doing is like, you're saving lives. I don't want to be dramatic, but seriously, in our community, they sign leases, and you know how the lease says it's on you to find out if it's zoned for your use. And they go, like, it not only under, like, it affects generational wealth. Mm -hmm. Because they invest in that, yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, that brings me to, I guess, wondering, like, what is the timetable or the timeline right now? Uh, so the, the legislation is, is sitting right now um, at the board. It'll have to go to the Planning Commission first, um, tentatively scheduled for the first week of September. And then after that, it'll get routed to the Board of Supervisors Land Use Committee. And then after that, uh, to the full Board of Supervisors. So, so a couple months <laughs> at by least. By end of yeah. the year? Hopefully. Um. <laughs> <laughs> And did this, I mean, did a lot of your merchant walks actually inform you on how, like, how to go, like, what needed to be prioritized? Yeah, so we hear a lot from just the cases that come into our office through our small business permitting team, through our case managers, but also as we've been going out into the community, it was actually really, I would say, validating to hear a lot of the comments that they would proactively make to us were things we were thinking about. And so, for example, in this legislation, 
um, we saw, uh, well, when we were out in the community, we saw that people really wanted to create some local neighborhood-based co-working spaces. We're not talking about WeWork um, level. We're talking about just a yoga studio wanted to add space for people to kind of come and get out of their living rooms. Um, and so um, that, you know, there it wasn't quite defined in the planning code in a way that would allow it. And so we help define that as well as allow that on the ground floor along with the professional services um, uses that I was talking about. So that's just one example. Or if I went out to the hate street um, and you know there was a question to me about why is there a restriction on bars um, on hate street? I said, well, <laughs> in the planning code so some years ago, there, there was a desire not to have that many bars here. So. Um, you know, these things would come up pretty organically on our merchant walk. So it, it, again, it was very validating to, to hear that and we're gonna continue. Amazing. Um, I think, oh, the last piece was hopefully after, um, after this goes through or, you know, as we have some time before it goes through, like I think one of the um, major contributions that you've made to this office so far has been um, really being able to help us track and measure success and being able to measure impact. So, I mean, I feel like this is a hugely impactful um, piece of legislation. So hoping that um, that might be built in somewhere into the mechanism for, for us to be able to track the success of this. So, yeah, well. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think that's kind of like um, part of our equity conversations too, is like, you know, if if we're just putting new legislation out there, not us, but if the city or our legislators just keep creating new things, but not really checking on how they're working or how, or having a mechanism to be able to um, sunshine things or to pivot from things, then I think it makes, that's not equitable, right? Because sometimes you do have to try things and see how that works and who the unintended consequences might actually um, affect. So I think this, this to me is a wholly positive kind of situation, but um, yes. So I think we need to take, oh, public comment if there are no further comments. Up, up if here. there are any public commenters on the line or in the room, please come forward or press star three to be added to the queue. There are none. Great. Um, so hearing no further comment, uh, callers, um, public comment is closed. Would anybody like to make a motion? Yes, I'd like to make a motion for the approval. I second. Motion, motion to recommend this. The expansion of the allowable commercial restaurant and retail. <laughs> <laughs> motion to recommend Sorry. support for this proposal <laughs> by Commissioner Dickerson, seconded by Commissioner Herbert. Uh, I'll read the roll. Commissioner Carter is absent. Commissioner Dickerson. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Commissioner uh, Gregory. I came back. Yes. <laughs> Commissioner so Herbert. Uh, yes. President Huey. Yes. Commissioner Ortiz Cartagena and Vice President Zazuna. Yes. Motion passes.
Thank you. Uh, next item, please. Item six, approval of draft meeting minutes. This is a discussion and action item. The commission will discuss and possibly take action to approve the May 22nd, 2023 draft meeting minutes. Um, commissioner, any commissioners, any comments on the minutes? No comments on the minutes. Um, opening it up for public comment. There's no public comment. No public comment. Um, public comment is closed. Um, would somebody like to make a motion to approve the minutes? I'll move. And second? I'll second that. <laughs> motion to approve the draft meeting minutes by Commissioner Ortiz Cartagena, seconded by Commissioner Dickerson. Commissioner Carter is absent. Commissioner, Commissioner Dickerson. Yes. Commissioner Gregory. Yes. Commissioner Herbert. Yes. President Huey. Yes. Commissioner Ortiz Cartagena. Yes. And Vice President Zuzunas. Yes. Motion passes. Great. Next item. Item seven, general public comment. This is a discussion item allowing members of the public to comment generally on matters that are within the Small Business Commission's jurisdiction but not on today's calendar and suggest new agenda items. Any members of the public who would like to make comments on items not on the agenda? There are none. And no, nobody on the line? Uh, no comment. one on the line. Okay. Public comment is closed. Next item, please. Item eight, director's report. This is a discussion item. Uh, again, welcome, <laughs> welcome to the meeting, oh, Director. Thank Day. you. <laughs> nice to be here. I'm actually going to pass on the director's report just because I gave so many of the updates in the earlier items, like the budget, the legislative proposal. So I'm going to spare you from additional <laughs> report out tonight. Yes. Tonight was your meeting. This was it. Yes. Thank you very much. Um, I guess do we still okay? Any questions about the no public comments? There's none. Public comment is closed. Next item, please. Item nine, commissioner discussion and new business. This is a discussion item. All right, Commissioner Gregory. I would just like to know um, how many people took advantage of the awning, the no fee permit awning. Thank you for that question. That legislation that creates the awning amnesty, oh, sorry, actually I should, um, clarify, do you mean the existing awning um, permit fee waiver program that takes place every yes, May the or the one that is um, to address the sort of like 200 complaints that came through? That early? one, the one okay. that, <laughs> yes, both, so, actually both, the one that um, for the 200 complaints and the May one. Okay, so um, I will look back in my emails in a moment about the May program. Um, but the, um, as for the awning amnesty program, uh, that legislation is still making its way through the board of supervisors process. So it's up for its first vote, um, at the full board tomorrow. And then it also just on a technical side has another trailing piece of legislation, a copied version with a different amendment. Um, but essentially I think it'll probably be implemented maybe in another month or so. Um, so we don't yet know um, how many people will take advantage of that program, but certainly we hope that all 200 plus, you don't have to have a complaint or notice a violation to participate in the awning amnesty program. So if you don't have a permit on file for your awning, uh, we do encourage you to go through this program anyway, and then that way you could get um, through the simplified process with the fees waived. 
And I will come back to you about the other part of the question. And the amnesty is going to be through uh, July 2024. Oh, I just think that um, now San Francisco is just getting such a bad rap of, you know, the media is doing, not doing a great job. Um, and the Office of Small Business has such good programs to offer the people with small businesses. And it just, um, you know, it's, it's sad to see no public comment on the phone when everybody's so quick to, you know, talk bad about why there's no commercial space or, or you know, the stores are empty. So, yes, I would love to hear some good news about how many people are taking advantage of what the Office of Small Business has to offer. Great, um, Commissioner Dickerson. Commissioner Herbert. Well, I was just gonna say thank you for saying that because um, I started coming up with wacky ideas about like how can we get more people involved you know, in these commission meetings because no one's listening, but look at all this fantastic work that's being done. Um, so yeah, I totally agree with you. And I feel like people should know about this, right? It's sort of a double-edged sword though because you don't wanna, you know, have like a 20-hour meeting every time you're, <laughs> you know, announcing a new, you, you don't explain it without sounding like a jerk, but we don't need like, the entire world's um, <laughs> approval, right? Uh, because that gets really complicated, but it's just fantastic and, and, you know, I would love more people to be listening. I think I'm gonna tell my wife that she needs to listen. <laughs> start, with, start with one listener. It's like, wait. I know, thank you. Yeah. I think actually people do listen, so uh, there are people listening. They're just. Don't comment, okay. Yeah. That, <laughs> yeah, I, th I think we have a following. Got the highest <laughs> <SF> <laughs> TV ratings. For what it's worth, there are two people tuned in right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, they're cooking dinner and they're listening. I know this. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I stand corrected. Um, let's see. Can, uh, Vice President Zazunas? Yeah, thank you. I mean, that's exactly kind of, I think... President, your comments and, you know, our commissioner comments have kind of made me, you know, want to verbalize something. Um, I think the, MT, the MTA battle right now with, with the meters has brought out a lot of different communities that don't necessarily see a nexus with small business and now very squarely, you know, are in the same fight. Um, and I think, um, I just want to say, I think small business is the common ground, like period. Like we are the common ground to connect the progressive forces and the worker and service provider communities and, and activist communities. Um, and I think we do need to better quantify how our policies that we push for have an impact for the community. Um, and. Yeah, I'm, I'm down to get creative in, in how we do that. I think a lot of time we just get lumped in with big business and, um, you know, in terms of like the public eye. Um, and and I, I think that there's, 
yeah, there's definitely something to shape around this moment where I'm seeing like even like radical organizations get involved with this MTA conversation, you know, and I, and I would love to, these are base organizations that are like rooted in, in, in communities and can bring out people and I just think we can better show that that small business policy, you know, when we when we liberalize some pieces of our, you know, business code, it's not necessarily going to have a conservative impact. Like, and I think we need to better um, relay that. Um, yeah, we 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 are there for community, and it's really hard when sometimes we're also looking at contradictory things that are, you know, tax breaks for big developers, right? Um, how do we then explain, oh, we're in favor of this, but we're also in favor of, you know, um, loosening up things for small businesses and how that's related and just better explain to kind of, yeah, communities that don't necessarily have the same business understandings. Um, yeah, that was just something I thought about is how do we better utilize, like, our position as the common denominator for community in general. Commissioner Ortiz. I just want to add to that, Commissioner Gregory, you're absolutely right. Like, they never highlight the successful, the success loop that we do out here. Mm -hmm. Like, in the mission, our vacancy has dropped 20%, so has in the Excelsior, but they don't highlight that. But that's because small business and communities invested in their community. Like I said, we're not these extractors that go and lease a big commercial building, extract the wealth from San Francisco, and then leave or go under. We're going to be outside, you know what I mean? We're gonna be here generationally. Like my kids ain't going anywhere. You know them, right, <laughs> President Huey? You tell them what's the best city ever, they'll say San Francisco. Cause we love our community and small businesses. We're like the firemen, small business, the firemen. Everybody loves firemen cause we save and we protect, right? So you can't hate on us, you can't. We're the fabric of San Francisco and in every community across the nation. Invest in your small business and you will get that ROI. Dollar for dollar, like this is just math, right? Like 1.5 million in fee waivers. I guarantee you, I guarantee you without even doing a study that results in at least 20 million. I guarantee you without even, you know, quantifying the exponential effects of every dollar. So keep investing us. We're not going anywhere. We're outside DPW, you know, let's take some money from them and we'll be all right. Commissioner Herbert. Thank you. Well, I think we need to we need to have a relationship with some news organizations or something so that they can broadcast like all the stuff that we're doing, right? Like you know, this week's small business uh, <laughs> victory brought to you by Katie Tang and Carrie you know, <laughs> Birnbach. You know. um, something like that would be cool, you know? Mm. Yeah. Except it's instead of like you know like politicians that are running for office like having photo ops on you know downtown and stuff like that but okay i'm not going to comment anymore thank you no this is this is perfect this is how small business rolls we have so <laughs> many ideas <laughs> we've started probably like 10 small businesses on this <laughs> forum already commissioner dickerson thank you I, I thought it'd be good to share um, about the success of um, the U3Fit Revive Retreat 
that um, Dream Keepers and City of Dreams um, help with. Um, and the reason I wanted to talk about it in a small business commission is because U3Fit is about people. And I thought it'd be good to bring a perspective of what happens when we invest in people. And so we were able to take 53 people from Bayview primarily to um, the retreat. And when I tell you, my husband's program, um, Ground Zero, that partners directly with City of Dreams from Oakdale, brought 14 of their young adults to this. Now, you all remember the story I told you last year that one of the young people that came last year got shot and killed in that shooting a couple of months after we returned. Well, before she uh, passed away, she went back to her neighborhood and told all of her best friends from that community, you have to go to this retreat. Well, in honor of her, 14 of them showed up for this retreat. And we don't always know, you know, how things are going to maneuver and, and um, because it, we, we, we guide the retreat based on who comes so that we can fulfill the need of the people. It just so happens that everyone that came had lost someone. So it turned into a grieving, like a, like a, it was, yeah, it was, it was, Overwhelming. Long story short, we had a session in our Saturday session where we were able, everyone who was there who needed to talk about their grief was able to speak. Some ran out, couldn't handle the emotion behind it. Some responded, even my cameraman dropped his camera because of all of these things that came up. But what it was, it was a lot of times we look at things that goes on in our neighborhoods and realize that these are just symptoms but the root is grief, trauma, emotional distress, loss. So what happened in some of these sessions is that we were able to get a lot of that out. When we came back and people had a chance to share about what happened in the retreat, and this is where I believe this is where this fits here, is because in those, in those sessions, they were able to get out what was going on, the, the healing process began, but from testimonies from, from many of them, we literally interrupted retaliation. I don't mean to go deep every time I talk about this stuff. I really don't, but I can't help it because when we can interrupt the effects of what affects us in our communities, whether it be murder, you know, vandalism, um, stealing, all of those things. What we're wanting to do is we're wanting to really be able to go to the root and affect as many people as possible because I believe creating that circle. So what we're doing is the work that allows people to heal that will interrupt a lot of the systemic issues that we're dealing with in our community. And so I wanted to share that from a perspective of, you know, what we're doing and who are now, we're partnering, and now I have about five other companies that are coming along and say, can we get a bigger retreat? Can we, absolutely we can, because what we wanna do is we wanna reach those areas that, because I'm, I'm really, if you notice, whenever it comes to emotion, I'm ready to go, because it's about action. 
I don't like to do a whole lot of talking about stuff. Meetings are played out. It's time to implement things. That's why I can really appreciate the work you guys are doing because talk is cheap and meetings just waste time. But uh, actually creating the space and the workforce to be able to implement things and start seeing things done is where we're gonna see the changes in our small businesses and our communities and our social settings and, our, and, and us as a people. I so appreciate what we are doing here as Small Business Commission and the changes that we're making. But I just want you to know that there is a company here that's on the ground working with the community in a, in a place where we're literally able to change the trajectory of how they're thinking, feeling. Now when I tell you those same 14, all 14, this is the first time it's ever happened, all 14 of them have been in, put in a program of some sort, job placement, starting college, new jobs, every single one of them has taken a complete turn. And we're talking about one of the hardest neighborhoods on that side. And you were double rock, you, you, that whole, that area. So I am so grateful for the partnerships that I've had with, and the donors. I cannot forget all of the people that donated as well. Um, but it was a huge success. And so I just wanted, I thought I'd share that because business isn't just about making money. My business is people. And, and people is what should always be priority, even when we're looking at legislation and law changes and all these things. It's gotta be what's going to allow us to elevate and, and uh, get us to a better place so that we can continue to create this amazing community. And I'm not talking about just neighborhoods, I'm talking about San Francisco as a community. I think it's pretty clear that any one of our commissioners here could probably serve on any number of commissions in the city and serve in any number of capacities. I mean, given your expertise, your skill, your passion, um, and your commitment. So I am very grateful that you choose to serve um, on the Small Business Commission. And I think that's a testament to again, how important small business is, right? Like that's what we've been saying all night is that we are really holding the crux of culture, the crux of the future of San Francisco here. And I think, you know, all we've touched upon probably like every subject tonight. <laughs> we've had a, <laughs> a roller coaster of emotions tonight. And this is not anything different than like how our daily lives are run really, you know? I mean, this is all of us like sharing, kind of reporting out what we've done in, in the last few weeks. So I think if, if anybody wants to find like the good in San Francisco, I think it's distilled right here. So. I, I, I um, in, Thank you so much, Commissioner, for, for telling that um, story of really how small businesses in real time are creating societal change. Um, 
I wanted to tell a cool story about it, something I went to this weekend. Um, it's the 50-year anniversary of the historic Coors beer strike that happened in 1973. Yeah, um, it's an amazing piece of history because it's labor history, LGBTQ history, Arab American and small business history, uh, all like intersecting. It was um, started by the Teamsters Union, but then it was a great coalition that formed around a consumer boycott um, of, of Coors at the time that was, um, for a lot of reasons, c communities came together to boycott. So it took place, San Francisco was the epicenter, um, and so I went to this kind of organizing training where they reached out to all the communities that had been part of it um, and brought them together, and it was actually, um, yeah, and so 1973, the, uh, the Teamsters, which were the delivery, the beer delivery drivers, led the strike, and then um, they started picketing the small retailers, and at that time, the Arab American Grocers Association um, was coming off of also supporting the Gallo strike and holding the picket line, um, and so they were politicized, um, especially they were led by, you know, Palestinians at that time, so the very you know, political atmosphere, and they said, don't protest us, let us join you. So this was like a historic moment where small businesses joined with big labor um, in, in holding a picket line, and then the LGBTQ community came out and um, worked with all the bars and got the cores uh, um, out. So I think this was just like such an amazing moment for, for me to see like the continuity of that work. Um, the team, one of the Teamster academics contacted me because they found a letter that was signed um, by um, two leaders of the Grocers Association at that time, and their grandkids are the ones that are still involved and in, in leading this, um, you know, leading Arab American organizing um, in the Bay Area today, and so, you know, and they had some of the old timers that were part of the Teamsters at that time, and just talking about the, um, there was a UFW, march that met with a Palestinian march like on Market Street and it was just like migrant worker small business solidarity and um, it was just so, so beautiful to, to see that you know we still have that framework in this city that, that we, we build from so yeah that was just my story. Thank you. Um, after Commissioner Dickerson's story, I kind of wasn't going to share any of the things that I was doing. That was that was incredible. I mean, I think your retreat is a highlight of of the year. So thank you for sharing that. Um, I also wanted to thank you and um, Commissioner Carter for um, hosting. Uh, several of uh, a student group that I've been leading. So I've been working on this pro um, project, I guess, program called the Unity Road Trip. It's sponsored by RAMS um, in San Francisco. And we take 10, 10 um, young women, high school students, on the road for a month. And five are Chinese American, five are African American. And they go on this road trip to learn about their, their Chinese and black histories and um, sustainable farming as well this year and um, they are leaving this Friday and they'll be back at the end of um, July so it's pretty crazy they're, <laughs> they're
they're going to go on the road and learn and um, and also, you know, obviously learn about themselves, right? That will be the most immediate thing that they'll learn. And so for the last week, we've been doing some pre-trip activities just to give them an understanding of some of the things that we have here, as well as just basic kind of uh, history. And I've been so fortunate to meet and hook up with so many different historians who share just such a unique perspective of history and have shared how malleable history is and how important it is to see it from different perspectives. Because we've been given a certain um, type of history, a certain view of history, and that is not the truth for everyone. And so to be able to see um, history through many different people's eyes and to do walking tours in our neighborhoods, like um, we went through Chinatown, we went through the Bayview, um, we went to the TL and had lunch with uh, Commissioner Carter, and you know, having everyone share their stories. Ikaite got to share her story. Um, seeing diversity in what people choose in profession, how people get to a place in life, I think is incredibly invaluable. You know, incredibly valuable to um, to not only young people, but like for me too. You know, like I, I mean, I guess I'm still relatively young, but. <laughs> You know, for all of us to kind of have a better understanding that life is um, full of possibilities, right? And so, so yeah, they're off this Friday, and they're going to be meeting with all, a whole host of people, starting with, I think, um, Fred Hampton Jr. in Chicago. So they're going to start there, and then they'll make their way um, around the country and back home. So thank you very much for supporting them. Um, and... Yeah, it, and it literally was just an idea. So I think that's the other thing is like everyone can just come up with these ideas and then we just find, you know, people to support them. And and I mean, I think if there's anybody out there who has a ton of money in their pockets that they don't know what to do ideas. with, we have so many ideas. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> um, so, and then uh, the other piece I wanted to bring forth for, in terms of the more immediate future is, um, maybe I'll share a little bit about the APEC conference, but um, just to keep you guys in the loop, since there are two listeners on the line as well. Now there are three. Oh, three. Oh, somebody must have told someone to listen in. Um, <laughs> but I... Um, I was just going to share about APEC. APEC is the Asia-Pacific Economic Co Cooperation, and it's basically like a, co a group of 21 member economies from all over Asia, all over the Asia-Pacific, and um, they have a series of meetings throughout the year, but their um, leader summit is going to be in November of this year in San Francisco. So the leaders and the heads of state of these um, nations will be coming to San Francisco in November. So we should hopefully um, be ready to give a warm welcome to President Biden, um, as well as presidents and heads of state and finance ministers and all sorts of people in November. So um, just to give a heads up to all of us, to, since you know we have such reach like in our communities that, um, you know, 
each delegation is expected to bring probably like, I don't know, 50 or so people from their country to check out San Francisco, see what it's all about. And we would love to give them opportunities to see our neighborhoods. <laughs> and um, so, you know, I think Director Tang is really, um, and Marianne too, like, I think will be really um, big advocates on making sure that small businesses are represented because we are, you know, one of the most wonderful things about coming to San Francisco. So I think there are, I think restaurants should be excited, um, street activations, like all sorts of things to be able to welcome, um, welcome all these delegates and people from all over the world. Um, some ideas that I had were getting young people involved in this too and ensuring that we have some pathway for young people to understand that, you know, we're connected and that we have a, a future and they, they should travel abroad and see, come back and see why San Francisco is so awesome too. So, um, yeah, so that was the basic information. There's not a lot more, but I have the website to share with you guys if you want to learn yeah. more. How yeah. It's, uh, there's, there's 21 countries and the state, the person from the state department who came to host a, some info sessions, he was saying that, um, this was like the tag that I thought was really cool was like, you know, this is the largest diplomatic event, um, that San Francisco has seen since like the formation of the UN. Mm, so wow. this is like a big deal. So it's, you know, it's amazing to me that again, like what you're saying, we don't talk about the big deal. Like, we, for some reason, we just don't share that news. So this is a, a huge deal. So um, that's all that I have. Any other commissioner comments? Nope. Okay. Um, public comment? There's none. Let's see. Okay. Seeing no public comment, public comment is closed. And next item. Item 10, adjournment, SFGovTV, please show the Office of Small Business slide. We will end with a reminder that the Small Business Commission is the official public forum to voice your opinions and concerns about policies that affect the economic vitality of small businesses in San Francisco. If you need assistance with small business matters, continue to reach out to the Office of Small Business. Meeting adjourned. <laughs>